1: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill.
2: Just after two on your Thursday, the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app as the Super Bowl is behind us. Tiger Woods is back on the green. Feels pretty big when you see Tiger out there. The Sixers have reached the all-star break. Tough loss last night. The Sixers now have a stretch of games coming up after the break that are not going to be fun. That's a game last night that you felt like man, got to find a way to win that game. And it felt like they found a way to lose that game last night. Uh, frustrating loss for the Sixers. Flyers tonight, they take on the Maple Leafs. It's their final game before the stadium series game at MetLife Stadium. Anybody in the listening audience going to MetLife on Saturday? Shoot us a text, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Our Kevin Durso will be there, uh, and he'll be covering the action. He's got a preview of tonight's game with the Maple Leafs up now on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. Phillies continuing uh, pitchers and catchers. They reported yesterday, and, uh, yeah, obviously, they are just kind of getting in the swing of things. We had a good conversation yesterday with Bob Wankel on the Phils, and, you know, the Phils uh, have a lot of questions that need to be answered, but none of them really pertain to the everyday roster. It seems like the questions that need to be answered are more on the Who's your closer? What's going to happen in center field? What goes on with Brandon Marsh? What is your everyday batting lineup look like? What's the batting order for this team? Like, those are the kind of questions. There are very, very, very few roster questions. I mean, you could have a good argument. I don't know that I've ever seen a team come back with, what, 26-man rosters. They might have 22 of the same guys from last year. I've never seen less turnover from a team than what the the, uh, Philadelphia Phillies are bringing to the table. But I want to start real quick and and get your thoughts on, I'm watching that game last night, Sixers, and it was, I got to be honest, like, it is hard to watch this team play and get excited about them without Joel. It is. It, It is obvious and it is evident that he is not there and it's just not, a team that you're believing in. And I don't blame you. I'm not sitting here saying, how could you not be excited about this team? How could you not be supporting this team? No, last night, that's a game. You're on your home floor. They're missing Rozier and Butler. And yes, I get it. You don't have Joel and and Harris didn't play. But you got to find a way to just figure out a way to win that game get a rebound, do something, and they couldn't. And that is the feeling of, man, I don't know how this team stays afloat if that's what's going to happen. Look, you're getting contributions from Martin. Paul Reed had a monster game last night. I mean, he played 40 minutes last night, 39 minutes last night. He had 18 points, 12 rebounds, two assists, a block, I mean, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, he's not Joel Embiid, but man, 18 points 12 rebounds, he had a pretty big impact as the center replacing them. The problem was, like Kelly Oubre last night, what did we talk about with Paul Hudrick the other day? He actually mentioned, and it was a little bit surprising, but Paul's at the games every single night, and he's really smart when it comes to basketball. And he said, I think Oubre might be the guy that's the odd man out of the lineup when the playoffs come around. You watch the game last night, how erratic he was, and you start to think, huh, maybe he's right. Buddy Heel, big game last night. Maxi, big game last night. But other than that, Ricky Council's interesting. He had 23 minutes, 13 points, and if you watch that game late, who was on the court? Ricky Council. He's on the floor with campaign Payne uh, late in that game last night. So, listen, the Sixer thing is what it is. Without Joel Embiid... It is very difficult to sit here. And we'll talk more about it tonight with Austin Krell, our Sixers insider. Because realistically, unless Joel Embiid comes back, this team is not going anywhere. But but they still have half the season to go. And I'm interested. So we asked this question at 973ESPN on our social media uh, Facebook platforms. Right now. Which winter sports team are you more into? And I think if you asked this question two months ago, the obvious question or answer would be the Sixers, right? But have the Flyers surpassed the Sixers for you in interest? Are you now more interested in the Flyers than you are the Sixers? 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. A lot of interesting response over at 973 ESPN and our text board of course is uh, always open at 609-403-0973 Charlie and violence says I won't be at MetLife but I'll be at the preseason opener in Clearwater hashtag ring the bell Charlie there's no place that I would rather be on 225 than uh that's February 25th by the way Than Clearwater for the opener but by the way that is a rare Not rare, I guess, for this time of the year. Day where all three teams are playing on the same day. Sixers, Flyers, and the Phillies will also be playing on that day. So, Charlie, you won't be at MetLife. Anybody in the listening audience going to be at MetLife? I'm interested to see anybody going up there. I mean, stadium series, outdoor game. What does MetLife hold? Like 90,000? It's a pretty big stadium for an NFL stadium. What, like 80,000 MetLife stadium holds? It's a pretty big, I mean, I was at the game, Flyers-Penguins at um, Heinz Field, I think it was called at the time, and I don't know what the heck they call it now, but Flyers-Penguins- Heinz Field-Pittsburgh, I was at that game. I mean, I gotta say, it's not the best viewing experience in the world to be sitting in a football stadium watching a hockey game. It's more for the event itself that you're going to, but uh, yeah, uh what's about life?
3: Eighty two thousand five
2: hundred. Eighty two, yeah. So I thought it was over eighty. I, I I thought maybe it was even bigger than that. But eighty two plus for hockey. I don't remember. I don't think they put seats on the on the field. I don't think so. Some
3: of the stadium series have put like, you know, like VIP seating I guess it would be like around because the, they need a certain distance between the ice boards and the ice itself. Yeah,
2: I remember a lot of walkways, like from Pittsburgh, like the, the locker. Like, you know, you have to put, like, you don't want the skates on the grass. Correct. So they have, like, these, like, walkways. It's almost like um, like a runway. Right. You know? But... Um, Got to land the plane, man. Yeah, $82,000. i am wondering if they're going to sell that joint out for both games. Both games are at MetLife this weekend. That is correct. Saturday night, Flyers and Devils. And then Sunday afternoon, it's Rangers and Islanders. You're talking, can they have sold 164,000 tickets to sell that place out for two hockey games this weekend?
3: It's a good question. I, I don't... The stadium series thing, like you said, it's, you're not really going for the hockey game. You're going for the experience. So, are there that yeah, many I people? At the game,
2: I was at the game at Citizens Bank Park as well. Mm-hmm. So... That's also an odd, because, like, watching in a baseball stadium, the sight lines are a little weird. Right. But it's kind of cool you're at the outdoor game. I know people have been at the Fenway Park when the Flyers played the Bro The Flyers have played in a bunch of these outdoor games.
3: Right. They played, you said, Fenway. They did Pittsburgh. They did uh, Citizens Bank Park. Now they're doing MetLife. I, I think, think they've played four. some
2: other ones, though. They might have. Yeah, know, I'm pretty happens. sure they've played in other ones other than, you know, um, Fenway Park I think they played – did they play – did the Flyers play – they maybe
3: play like the, um, the Capitals or something?
2: Uh, I don't think so, but I think they've played other outdoor games other than Fenway, Citizens Bank, Heinz Field. I think they have played in a couple of other outdoor games. I want to say they played Chicago, but I don't know where that game would have been. Well,
3: the first one they played was Pittsburgh. They played where the was Penguins. That? Um That was at Heinz Field. So that was the first. Time that's the Flyers, not the first one. That's the first one the Flyers have ever done.
2: No, because I was at the game at Citizens Bank Park, and that game was before the Heights Field game. The game at Citizens Bank Park, they played the Rangers. I was at that game. That was before the game in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. So I definitely remember that. But I think they played in Boston.
3: Was it maybe not listed as a stadium series? Maybe was a Oh, Winter no, that,
2: wasn't a, that was a Winter Classic game. Oh, that's yeah, the So problem. they played I'm, some Winter I'm Classic i on a Stadium games. Series list. Yeah, well, uh, Stadium Series and Winter Classic are two different things, but they're both outdoors. They played at Fenway Park. I think that was a Winter Classic. This is a Stadium Series. The other one at Heinz Field was also a Stadium Series game. Right. The one at Citizens Bank Park, that was a Winter Classic, Winter Classic game. They Anybody need. actually ever been to any of those games, the Winter Classics or the Stadium Series?
3: Right, because the Flyers played the Penguins also at Lincoln Financial Field in 2019.
2: Okay, so they did play at Lincoln Financial Field. See, I wasn't. I don't. I don't remember that game.
3: 2019, they played Lincoln Financial Field versus the Penguins. Hmm. Interesting.
2: Yeah, because well, I, I forget what year they played uh, the Rangers, but that game was at Citizens Bank Park, and that was a while ago. That might have been like. Oh, man. I don't know how long ago. That was, a, that was a long time ago. Actually, that picture just popped up on my uh, Facebook uh, memories a couple days. Uh, Did a, it really? L- recent, well, I guess around New Year's Eve, I guess, because that's when it was. It was a New Year's – what's that? New Year's Day? New Year's Eve? Usually New Year's Day. I play that game? Yeah. So it, it was definitely they played that game, I think. for They actually might have played a, a Winter Classic game someplace else before
4: that.
3: So Fenway Park was 2010. Okay. That was the Flyers' first time they played a winter classic. Mm-hmm. They played the Rangers in 2012 at Citizens Bank Park.
2: That's the game right there. I'm
3: going through the list to see what other winter classics because, again, it's two different lists because, you know,
2: the internet. Uh Well, there probably was a more efficient way to search for it, but...
3: Maybe, I'm, maybe not. I'm dealing with
2: you, so I know that you probably overthought this process here. <laughs> I literally just typed in
3: NHL Stadium Series. <laughs>
2: yeah, there's your problem. Stadium Series is different from, you should just put Flyers Outdoor Games, and that probably would be a nice, concise list for you, all in one spot. That would have uh, been a nice, clean list.
3: Of course, it might have been on some you know <laughs> random site that I've never heard of that I might have to fact check, and I don't feel like doing that. So,
2: mm, well, I'm lucky that I'm here to fact check. Because if I wouldn't have fact-checked, the Flyers game at uh, Citizens Bank Park would not have existed.
3: Well, that was a Winter Classic game and not a Stadium Series game. And this Saturday is a Stadium Series game, that Winter Classic game. By the way, I do have a text from Kevin Durso about the number of uh, ones. He says, Flyers have played a total of five outdoor games. 2010 Boston, 2012 New York Rangers, 2017 Pittsburgh, 2019, and then the one in against Boston it was in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. So here's in a list of all
2: of the outdoor games, all on one page. Six, one. All on one page and nice and concise here. Is it a
3: reputable website? It is.
2: Uh Fenway Park against the Bruins, Citizens Bank Park against the Rangers, and then Heinz Field in 2017 against the Penguins. I was at that game. Stadium series against the Penguins at Lincoln Financial Field, and then Uh, They played at Lake Tahoe. I do remember that. That was an outdoor game. That was neither stadium series or winter Winter classic. Classic. This was the NHL outdoor series, and it was at Lake Tahoe. They played against the Bruins in that game, and now this will be their next game at MetLife Stadium.
3: Kevin Durso said this will be their sixth outdoor game. Two,
2: three, four, five, six. Kevin Durso is accurate. He is correct, uh, according to this nice, clean, concise website. By the way, the attendance at Fenway Park was 38,000. At Citizens Bank Park, it was 46,000. At Heights Field, it was 67,000. At Lincoln Financial Field, it was 69000 Wow. And then the Lake Tahoe game, not available. I don't know why that wasn't available. I don't know what the – they played at the Edgewood Tahoe Resort. So I think it was like a small setting there that yeah. wasn't like an arena. And then this that one here – That was more like a
3: TV-made production
2: than anything else. This one here has the potential of being over 80000 Now, you would think that might be the biggest one ever. I'm seeing this one here. The attendance was 85000 at a game at the Cotton Bowl where the Nashville Predators played the Dallas Stars back in 2020. So 85,000 is the biggest outdoor number that there has been. So
3: So, so let me ask you this question then. Does that – now are those people hockey people or are those people just going to go for an event? Or do you think it's a mix?
2: I think most of them – I think it's a mix. I definitely think it's a mix, but I definitely think most of them are hockey – like, no, I think people – This is an event. This is, I want to go because it's a cool event. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I've been to two of these. Right. I wouldn't classify myself as a hockey guy. Right. But I've been to two of these. I will say, they're not great viewing experiences. Mm -hmm. Like, Heinz Field was not, you're far. You're far off the ice, man. You are way off the ice at a football stadium. At Citizens Bank Park, the angles are quirky for baseball. Like the baseball stadium is, you know, the, the hockey rink is not kind of configured for baseball. So it is a weird kind of setup for baseball. But, again, you're not there for watching the game in terms of intently. You're there for the experience. Now, you're there to watch the game, obviously. But uh.
3: By the way, Durso confirmed what I was saying. He says there was no attendance to the Lake Tahoe game because of the COVID-shortened season, and it was a made-for-TV event. Gotcha. So I did remember that.
2: Well, there's two points for you then. Derso's actually getting the points. Actually, you know, I mean, no, you did bring that up.
3: I brought that up. Yeah. I, I said it's
2: one point, not two points. Uh, the number it's like of a free throw. The number of outdoor games, by the way, this is uh, the sixth one for the Flyers, which is tied for the most outdoor games out of every team in the NHL. They are one in four so far in outdoor games. <laughs> That's a horrible record. Yeah, gonna... it... Oh, I was at the one game they won. And then, by the way, they were down in that game. They came flurrying back against the Pittsburgh Penguins that night at, uh, at Heights Field. Mm. Uh, Dan in the AC says, it feels like the Flyers have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Dan, if you feel that way, you're a lot more optimistic than most, but I'm not going to bring you down on this, uh, on this Thursday. If you think they have a shot to win the Stanley Cup, I certainly am not going to, uh, to, to dash your dreams on that one. Um, strong, uh, strong move by Danny H.C. there. It's okay. I mean, it's a bold statement, I would say. You know, the Flyers winning the Stanley Cup this year. I mean, now, the one thing that's interesting about this team is yesterday they all of a sudden out of nowhere decided to name their captains. And, you know, after Tortorella had been kind of steadfast that they weren't going to do that. And right. then all of a sudden out of nowhere... They name uh, Sean Couturier the 20th captain. More on that next hour. But he has been named the captain. Here's the thing for the Flyers. So we asked you the question: Sixers lost last night, and I got to be honest, it was a it was a gut punch type of loss. Like where you're like, can they stay afloat? This team is kind of scrappy now. Kyle Lowry should be back. You're not going to get him beat back after the All Star break for at least a couple more weeks at best. But they got a four game stretch after the All Star break that. May, by the time, like, let's look at where the standings are right now in the NBA for the Sixers. They are in the fifth spot. They are three games up on Miami. So it was a big game last night. So Miami took a swing there, and it moved them up the standings closer to you. So... If the, if the Sixers lose the next four and their next four are against the top four seeds in the East, Boston, Cleveland, Bucks, Knicks, not in that order is the games, but that's the order of the standings. If they lose all four of those games, they would be 32 and 26. You would be approaching 500 all of a sudden. And that record, if you lose all four, you will probably be in the play-in situation. That is why that loss last night was like, oh, man, like I'm feeling playing all of a sudden. So we asked the question, which winner team are you more um, more into right now? Interesting answers here. Uh, Jeff, real quick, says, Sixers, I used to be a big Flyers fan but can't get into hockey anymore. I will watch the Flyers in the playoffs, but the NBA is a much more entertaining product than the NHL. I'm not even interested in the outdoor game and don't plan to watch it. I'm not a hater and hope the Flyers do well just more NBA fan than NHL these days. Yeah, Jeff, I understand like that, like some people just like the NHL, you kind of just like faded away from it. A lot of people do that because they didn't play the game growing up. So it's like, if you didn't play, you're not as attached to it. You don't know the game as well. The entertaining product thing, is interesting about that, because a lot of the hockey fans would say that the NHL is, is a very entertaining product, and basketball, same thing. But he's saying, I'm not even interested in the outdoor game. See, I'll probably watch Saturday night. I'll be into watching the game Saturday night. But he's saying Sixers just because he's more into basketball. But I wonder if he actually believes in in the Sixers more than the Flyers.
3: It's an interesting thing, because if, you, if you're not watching the Flyers, maybe that defaults you to just not even consider them
2: right well I think you probably entered the year hearing what has gone on with this team the last couple of years which has also caused you to kind of drift and fade from Mm -hmm. the team a bit and then and then all of a sudden they're like wow this team is actually pretty good and it's really like you start to take notice that wow the team's pretty good it's not until the games become more meaningful that that generates viewership though right so like i think jeff is like i'm not interested but if like let's say the last week of the year like they need to win a game or something he probably is going to be like hey man this flyers runs unbelievable like let's let's get into this yeah like, right be... now the sixers are they're 10 and a half out of the one seed they are closer to the play-in than they are the uh two seed right now
3: right like i would be curious if, if the flyers are playing on a Thursday night, and the Sixers play on a Friday night in the postseason. You know, is Jeff going to tune in to the playoff game? Like, is he a guy who would say he said he
2: would watch the playoffs? Okay, yeah. Um, the Winter Classic, January second, two thousand twelve. That was a. He said January one must have been a Sunday. So was that was January second, two thousand twelve, a Monday? I'll double check. What year? No. Two thousand twelve. Like two thousand twelve. Yeah. Uh, Mike, how magical would it be? to hear and uh, the Flyers win the Stanley Cup. It's something I've never heard in my life. Uh, I wasn't born in the 74, which is the last time they won. So, um, yeah, uh, somebody else texted, Michigan Michigan State record for largest attendance for outdoor hockey. Uh, yes, that was 100,000 plus, but those were college games. I was talking about NHL outdoor games, but outdoor hockey themselves. So a lot of people kind of mixed on this, by the way, on our Facebook page. Uh, Steve chimes in. He said he's the exact opposite. He's Flyers. Low expectations because what is considered lack of talent. Coaching has this team surprisingly playing at a high level, which is great for the fans. So Steve is saying he's the total opposite. He's more interested in the Flyers because of the low expectations. And now let's take a look at their standings, where the Sixers are the five seed, 32-22. and 22. They are 10 games over five hundred as they hit the All-Star break. You flip over to the Flyers, all right? Sixers, 10 games over 500. The Flyers are 10 games over 500. They are 29, 19, and 6, 64 points. Jersey has won two in a row. They have 58 points. So the NHL, for those of you who don't pay a lot of attention to it, they changed their playoff format a couple of years ago where the top three teams in each division get automatic playoff berth. So right now the Flyers are the third team in the Metro. That automatically means they're in. The next two wild card teams from either division get in. And those teams are currently Toronto and Detroit, who are both in the Atlantic division. But Philadelphia has more points than both of them. So even if the Flyers were not one of the top three in the Metro, they would be a wild card team right now. So they're in pretty good shape. And that's why we asked that question. Which team are you more into right now? A Flyers potential, you know, hey, you know what? I haven't seen the Flyers in the playoffs. I love playoff hockey. This could be fun. Or are you still holding out out hope that Joel Embiid comes back and this Sixer team can do something special?
3: So am I going to take away from this conversation that Mike Gill will be watching the Flyers on Saturday night instead of NBA All-Star I
2: have no interest in NBA All-Star weekend. I will watch the Flyers on Saturday night. No interest in NBA All-Star weekend. And uh, Sunday, you've got uh, that other stadium series game at 2.30. I might even. I actually think the NBA All-Star game belongs on, like, back in the day. It was on Sunday at, like, 3 o'clock. I would be much more apt to just throw it on my TV in the middle of the afternoon than I will at 8 o'clock on Sunday night. I hope the ratings stink for that game. <laughs> we, actually, Maxie's in the game. You want to see Maxie? course yeah you watching the nba all-star game then
3: so i do have an interest in saturday only because i want to see the curry versus sabrina unescu
2: that's saturday i said the all-star game
3: yeah i'll watch okay. not like intently it'll be more like uh i'll probably be like doing something else while i
2: watching <laughs> get kind of thing all right who has the best value right now that's next this is the sports Badge on 97.3
5: espn
1: The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3
2: ESPN and the free mobile app. Alright,
1: 231
2: Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. What's going on everybody? Let me tell you about my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Now through February 29th, you can get a 2024 Acura Integra lease, just $369 a month. 2024 MDX lease, 489 a month. Those are prices that, like, back during COVID, you could never even imagine getting to. Remember that time? You were just like, I can't buy a car. It's ridiculous. But now, Key Acura, they've got it for you beginning March 2nd. They've also got the service department. Will be open on Saturdays. So stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilt Road, and EHT. The small but friendly dealer online at of com to check out their inventory all right um I saw the MVP odds for the NFL next season and I'm intrigued by this for a couple of reasons you know you want to try to jump in on that early value like if you say these are the numbers now who stands out value- wise okay okay who do you think the favorite is it's obvious uh same homes right, 13 to two. Yeah. who do you think's number two uh how
3: about Josh Allen
2: Josh Allen's number tied for two.
3: Okay, so I was I had the right idea.
2: Yes, nine to one. He is tied for two with who?
3: With who? Uh,
2: I would guess Lamar. Pretty surprised with this one, actually. Okay. Not Lamar. Lamar is 14 to one. Okay. So this is nine to one. This is a nine to one-er. Nine to one-er. Uh, you said you're surprised. Very surprised.
3: Say that's a good hint there. So, and by
2: the way, the next guy at ten to one—very surprised.
3: Okay, so you're surprised by both of these names right here. So Not
2: sur—yes uh, 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 and no. I mean, the names are—they're big names. But they're just, big names, but you're
3: surprised they're as high as they are. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So I am going to throw out the guess of Joe Burrow.
2: Joe Burrow, nine to one. I mean, I'm pretty surprised by that because two reasons. One, he got hurt and didn't finish the years. He was kind of out of sight, out of mind. He might lose some receivers. Like, that team might have a different look. Not to mention, Joe Burrow really hasn't been in the MVP conversation in in any of his years. I mean, a little bit, but not, like, definitively. So to say that he's number two after getting hurt, and then possibly he could lose T.
3: Higgins. And he lost his offensive coordinator. And the Bengals lost their O-line
2: coach. Yep, not liking the 9-1 to for Burrow, and I'm a big Burrow fan. So, surprised by that. The next guy, so you got Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. Allen. Then this guy. This guy, I'm pretty surprised. Brock Purdy. No, not Brock Purdy. He's actually 16-1, to though, which is higher on the list than Jalen Hurts. Interesting. So, what they're,
3: the odds makers are projecting
2: that they think that
3: Brock Purdy is probably going to have a better season than Jalen Hurts will.
2: Sounds like it. All right.
3: So who would be the next guy on the list who would be surprised? I think
2: if I give you three guesses, you won't get it.
3: Jer- uh, Jared Goff.
2: Jared Goff is 50 to 1. Whoa. That's way lower than I thought. Yep. He had a good year this year. He did. Let's
3: see here. And Pete. you would
2: think they're in the same offense, same coordinate. Like, okay, if we're looking for value – Jared Goff at fifty to one. I'll take that. Feels value. like decent value.
3: Yeah, put ten bucks in that thing and ride it. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if Jer- By Jared- the way,
2: Jeff Mosher texts me. Your guess is wrong. <laughs> 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 well, actually, technically, it's right because you got Mahomes. I got Mahomes and Allen. But then Burrow and Allen are tied for second. So technically, the guy that I am looking for now is would third. be third. And the guy that Mosher texts me is actually fourth.
3: Okay, so he's he fifth off-
2: on the list because two guys are tied for second. Ah, yeah.
3: right, right. Gotcha.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: All right, so we're just kind of shuffling. So, Mosher,
2: you're, you're, thanks for listening, number one, Jeff Mosher. <laughs> uh, that's number one. Number two, you are technically accurate that he is actually the fourth because two guys are tied at nine to one. But this guy, so you guessed Goff, that's one, you get three. Okay. And I don't think you're going to get it. His guess is good. His guess is actually. Closer. The fourth guy.
3: So Mosher's guess so far is closer than my guess. Yeah, his guess is... Okay. CJ Stroud. That was
2: his guess. Oh. 11 to 1. Okay. And that would make CJ Stroud technically fourth. Right.
3: (laughs) Fourth on the list, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so it's somebody who's surprising... Christian McCaffrey.
2: McCaffrey is 80 to 1. I was way so off. So you guessed the guy that was 50 to 1 and 80 to 1. All right. Good job out of you. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mahomes is 1. Burrow is 2. Allen is tied with Burrow for 2. Number 3 on the list, 10 to 1 for Jordan Love.
3: I would. I would have never guessed that. You're right. Holy Toledo Batman.
2: Yeah. 10 to 1. Jordan Love, CJ Stroud, 11 to 1. I like this guy, Justin Herbert, 12 to 1 with Harbaugh, yeah. and that might be an interesting one. Lamar Jackson, 14 to 1. No offense to Lamar, but I,
3: I feel pretty strongly he is not going to have an MVP year next year. I think he's going to have a down year just because this year was so high. I think he's gonna come back down to earth a little bit.
2: Brock Purdy, sixteen to one. Dak Prescott, eighteen to one. Interesting. Aaron Rodgers, twenty to
3: one. Rodgers would be good value because if he comes back and he's Aaron Rodgers, that Jets team is just going to the postseason, he's put up big numbers probably.
2: Jalen Hurts, twenty to one. Good value. Matthew Stafford, twenty five to one. I don't like that. Trevor Lawrence 25 to 1. Interesting. Tua 25 to 1. Out on Tua. Deshaun Watson 33 to 1. Leave me the quarterback next year? Oh, he has to be with that salary. What are you going to do? I don't know. That's the problem. It's so weird. It's a fair question in terms of performance, but at that salary, they can't even bring in somebody to challenge him. That's true. I mean, you're not going to bring back Flacco, would you? <laughs> <laughs> he was the comeback player of the year. Crazy. Crazy. He played eight games. He won comeback player of the year. Probably not even going to be a team. Um, I would imagine that Deshaun Watson's the starter there, though. I mean, for yeah. what they're paying him.
3: It's going to be weird, also, really quick, because remember, they're bringing a new OC this year. It's going to be Ken Dorsey.
2: Mm, interesting. Anthony Richardson, 40 to 1. Jared Goff, 50 to 1. I like the 50 to 1 for Goff. Justin Fields 50 to 1. What team is he going to play on though? Kirk Cousins 50 to 1. What team is he going to play on? <laughs> Kyler Murray 50 to 1. Baker Mayfield 80 to 1. What team is he going to play for next year? Yeah. And then Christian McCaffrey is 80 to 1. I could go a little further down the list if you'd like me to, but I thought 80 to 1 is where I cut it off. Right with McCaffrey, like you could throw like ten bucks on McCaffrey and be like, "All right, eighty to one." I'll throw ten bucks on I'll McCaffrey. I'll
3: throw 10, I'll, throw 10 on Jared Goff. Right.
2: right. So of that group of guys from eighty to one up to the most favorite, which is the guy? If I said, "Hey, here's ten bucks. Go down to the to the uh, the old uh, Ocean Casino Gallery Bar Book and Games and throw it on that guy for the best value." I mean, my first
3: instinct would be Goff because he's fifty to one. But if I'm looking for a guy who's maybe a little higher on the list. I think you have to put C.J. Stroud in that conversation. Like you talked about him multiple times last year about how you were looking at him, be like, how can this guy not be in the conversation for MVP? And you give the you know, guy. I was year. at the
2: gallery bar booking games and placed a wager. I really felt that there. I forget what week it was, but I was like, after one of those weeks, I was like, with their schedule, and if they end up making the playoffs, which they did, by the way, they ended up making the playoffs, which was. Who would have ever thought that at the beginning of the season? I felt like if he could get them to the playoffs and was playing at the same level. The problem was he didn't play at the same level, but they kept winning because he was making plays. But his numbers were not gaudy enough. Right. But I, yes, I forget what week that was. But I remember I remember doing a whole segment and show about it where say, I said, yep. I'm going to the window and I'm betting on C.J. Stroud and right now. And you
3: literally did go to the window
2: and place a wager. Well, and they still have my money. Because it's I, a shame you can't roll oh, the ticker over to the man. next year, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I actually meant for the twenty twenty four season. Yeah. <laughs> but those are the uh those are the guys. I look at like Aaron Rodgers twenty to one, intriguing. Um The Golf one's not bad. Fifty to one. I mean, he's got the same offensive coordinator. I think the fact that he has his play caller back. But Does Jalen Hurts at twenty to one give you any interest? Because I would imagine his passing numbers should go up with Kellen Moore. Like you're 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 probably looking at a guy who see twenty to one is lower than I thought. Because remember, he finished second last year. He was the favorite for a lot of this year, not the whole time, but he was mixed in and out of him and Lamar and Mahomes. So I thought that the benefit of the doubt would be all right. He's going to be like ten to twelve to one, but twenty to one. I would imagine all of his passing numbers are going to go up.
3: The only reason for me, I'm you, know, you asked me if you gave me ten dollars go to the window and place. I didn't put it on Hertz, is because I don't know what the what the transition is going to be like. Do they start slow? And he has like remember Hertz has not started strong multiple years already in Philadelphia, you go back and look through each year, he has had some slow starts. So does a slow start impact him in a new offense as well?
2: I don't know about that because he started slow, you're saying, last year, and he finished second in the MVP. So mm-hmm. it wasn't enough to keep him down all the way. And and I don't know that – I don't remember saying, man, this guy's starting really slow. I actually thought that he opened our eyes pretty quickly out of the shoots. not particularly This season, I don't think that he ever really got going this particular year. Like he didn't, like if I said to you, what was the best game Jalen Hurts had? I mean, I think he had a couple games like Washington where he brought them back and made some big throws, but just looking at the game by game that he had, I don't know that he had one particular game. I mean, the most yards he threw for in a game this year, was 319 yards. He threw for 300 yards only 3 times. Ironically enough, he threw for 319 twice. The one game against Washington, he threw one game he had three touchdown pa- uh, he had four touchdown passes for 319 yards. That was probably the biggest passing game he had. In that game though, he only ran four times for 6 yards. His biggest rushing game of the year, he had 13 carries for 82 yards and two touchdowns, but he didn't have a game like that, like close to that. The year before, you go back to Hertz and look at, like, when did he kind of, like, jump on the scene. The second game of the year, he threw for 333 yards. The third game, he threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns. So early in the season, he had two monster games that kind of put him on the map. And then after that... You know, he started to have big rushing days. He had a game where he ran for 157 yards, another one for 86. But those two passing games right off the bat early kind of threw him.
3: You're talking about passing yards, though, because in in the first five games of 2022, he only had four passing touchdowns in those five games.
2: Well, he he only threw 22 touchdowns the whole year. It was the 13 rushing touchdowns that I think were the ones because overall he had – A total amount of touchdowns, you know, between the rushing and the passing that were pretty big. But, yeah, he did not throw for a lot of touchdowns in 2022. He only threw for 22 touchdown passes. Now, in 2023, he only threw for 23 touchdown passes. That was a problem. So, and he only, I mean, he ran for 15, which is actually more this year than he did last year. But his yards were down carrying the ball.
3: Right, he's carried the ball less in terms of total attempts and the yards and the yards per attempt. He, the rushing issue definitely became a problem and you're curious to find out what that looks like now with Kellen Moore because you know Kellen Moore Dak was not the Dak is not the running quarterback that Jalen Hurts, right? He's got the dynamic runner and scorer. So how does Kellen adjust to that?
2: All right, Jalen Hurts, you like him at 20 to 1? 609 403-0973. Evan Cohen from Unsportsmanlike is going to join me in about 15 minutes from now. we got a lot of fun topics for him. Speaking of odds, Snell, Montgomery, Bellinger. That's next. This is the Sports Bad 97.3 ESPN. .com. It's-
5: for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.
6: With
1: Mike Gill. Do I
2: have everybody's attention now?
1: On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
2: Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Hey, coming up uh, in about nine minutes from now, Evan Cohen from On Unsportsmanlike. The guys this morning, they were talking about the Travis Kelsey, Jason Kelsey, New Heights podcast, and they were discussing... Travis Kelsey was talking about how the decision was made to take the ball instead of kicking it. And he was saying, like, we were laughing. Like, we thought, like, what a mistake. Like, what an idiot. <laughs> I was cracking up on my way in. But something that Jason Kelsey said in the conversation. We'll get to that with Evan Cohen coming up in nine minutes here on the Sports Bash. Something Jason Kelsey said in the podcast regarding that play and Nick Siriani. That really stood out, but we were talking about NFL odds for MVP next season. But how about the odds of these three players? Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, and Jordan Montgomery, the betting odds on which team they will sign with. So Blake Snell's next team, there's a pretty clear favorite here. It's the New York Yankees at 2-1. to But if you had any thoughts of him going to Philadelphia, it doesn't seem that the odds makers feel the same way you do. It's Yankees, Giants, Mariners, Angels, Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers, Mets, Rangers, Astros, and at 25-1, to it's the Phillies. So it sounds as if we can cross him off the Phillies' wish list.
3: Which is okay. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if – if he doesn't want to be here and they can't come to an
2: agreement, it's okay. I don't know it's if it's that right. he doesn't want to be here. I just don't think the Phillies want to pay the money that he might be looking for. That could change. But, again, uh pretty long shot. But how about Jordan Montgomery? Well, the favorite by far, one-to-one, almost even odds, actually even odds, is Boston. The Red Sox, who have finished in last place in the AL East, what, four out of the last five years. Right. Number two, the Angels. Okay, the Angels could use some pitching. We know their lineup with, uh, Trout has lost Otani, but they could use another arm losing Otani, obviously. Then you got the Giants, 5 to 1, the Yankees at 6 to 1, the Mets at 7 to 1, and there the Phillies are at 9 to 1. So they actually think they have a better shot of getting Jordan Montgomery than they do Blake Snell.
3: I'm assuming his price tag would be significantly less as well.
2: Probably has something to do with it. By the way, both of them are left. Handed starters, so you have that. What about Cody Bellinger? Okay, the odds for the next team for Cody Bellinger. Well, the favorite it's the San Francisco Giants, two to one. I mean, basically saying, hey, they're getting him. The Angels at three to one. They got to replace Otani. There's yep. a left-handed bat that could do it. How about Toronto at four to one? The Mariners at six to one. The Yankees at seven to one. Baltimore twelve to one. I don't think Baltimore spending any more money. The Mets at 16 to 1 and 16 to 1 is Philadelphia for Cody Bellinger. So those three players, the best odds are still Jordan Montgomery. And I bring this up because a lot of people still think that Dave Dombrowski, he has done it in Detroit, he did it in Boston, that He goes out and gets that guy who's like a bigger name and just kind of sitting on the free agent market. Yep. And finally, the price gets to a point where he can convince the ownership group to say, they have dropped their price to a place where we feel comfortable enough to make an offer. What do you say, uh, Mr. Middleton? So keep those three names in mind when you're starting to hear. I mean, not starting to hear. You've heard some connections of all Three of those players, but unreally substantiated at this point.
3: If I can throw one more name in there, I know that uh, Jim Bowden in the Athletic article, he thinks that Whit Merrifield would be a good fit for the Phillies. Your yeah, thoughts?
2: Merrifield's another one. Yeah, no, he would be a guy that can kind of do everything. Play a little. I'm, I'm to me, one of the big stories is that outfield: Rojas, Pache, Marsh. What happens in that little triangle? How do they want that to look? Those three. Do they want a Marsh, Pache? You know, platoon. um platoon and let Rojas play every single day. Remember, Marsh of the three is the only left-handed bat. So Pache and Rojas would be playing against lefties. Do they have Rojas playing every day? Do those three just kind of like rotate around? Cause all three can play center field. Rojas is the best of the three. So that's a big story down there as well. When we come back, Evan Cohen from Unsportsmanlike joins me to go around the sports world next. This
1: is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill.
7: When they said we want to receive and the ref looked at Fred and he said, are you sure?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
7: You hey, sure you want to receive? Here. And he said, yeah I, was, yeah, I want to receive. I want the ball. I was, I was texting. Like, I got, I jumped out of my seat and said, Hey, hey,
2: here we go. Here we go. Let's go, boys. Perfect. They want to receive. We get second possession. We know exactly what they want. Defense,
7: hold them. Just hold them to three. We're going to go down here and win this thing, baby. Freaking crazy. It really was. I was texting Nick in the, before that even happened because we go over the same situation and play football.
2: Jason Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, New Heights podcast. They were talking about it this morning on my drive into work on Unsportsmanlike right here on 97.3 East. ESPN and Evan Cohen caught the part of the bite that stood out to me as well. Jason Kelsey says, I was texting with Nick the whole time because we go over that all the time. And I know people have wondered, what does Nick Sirianni do? He doesn't call the plays, but maybe he has his team prepared something that seemed Evan Cohen. The 49ers were not. Did that part of the conversation stand out to you, though, about Sir Nick Sirianni?
8: You know, Mike, you and I have now known each other long enough since I started this show where anytime you ask me to come on, I say yes. I think you can vouch for me on that. I've never, I, I told you I would go on with you all the time. I assumed that today I was on to talk Sixers. What a brilliant observation by you because that is exactly what stood out to me in that clip is that I said on our show today, I think that's the most impressive thing I've seen from Nick Sirianni is that he's the situational guy that has the relationship with the most, I I would assume, influential player on the Eagles roster relative to the rest of the team. Like, I mean, is there anybody on that Eagles roster that doesn't love Jason Kelsey? If I'm an Eagles fan listening to 97.3 right now, which I know that there are many Eagles fans listening, that's actually... The number one thing that I may take away from this whole thing is that maybe we need to take a step back and actually acknowledge Sirianni situationally is respected based on the fact (laughs) that Jason Kelsey just endorsed him. Where did that come from? Unbelievable. Well,
2: Kelsey did say on the New Heights podcast before when asked about it, I think we have that bite for you that you can hear from Jason Kelsey because he brought up two things about Here's what he said. This is uh, Jason Kelsey on the New Heights podcast about, uh, I don't know, uh, what was it, two weeks ago? So he basically gave two words that I thought stood out the most uh, describing uh, what he thought about Nick Sirianni. Here it is.
7: Nick, and I really mean this, is one of the best coaches I've been around and talking about coaching situational ball, really understanding what to do in the right moment motivating guys, uh, we, we coach things up in team meetings and hold people accountable better than uh, pretty much any other coach I've been around.
2: Situational ball. He said it there on the podcast. And holding people accountable better than any other coach he's ever played for. Two pretty powerful endorsements from Kelsey in the last month. So if Jason Kelsey doesn't play next year,
8: I know he's going to do, which we're assuming he's not, right? He's going to do some sort of media. I think that based on what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, if you're Nick Sirianni, you need him to do something publicly for the Philadelphia Eagles, where like he has some sort of job that makes it clear he has endorsed Nick Sirianni to be the head coach. Because every loss all year long, we are going to mention the names Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick. Every single time the Eagles lose, those two names will be mentioned. But if Jason Kelsey literally and figuratively becomes Nick Sirianni's offensive line, I mean, that is a huge person to have in your favor in this regard. And I think we, Mike, this is maybe a stretch, but here we go. If Vic Fangio, who I do think will do a good job, and Kellen Moore, who I think will be the offensive coordinator, uh, they, they do a good job. Maybe Sirianni is the situational guy, which now we've seen teams need. Great. Kyle Shanahan's an offensive mastermind. Okay, but if he doesn't know what to do situationally, it doesn't actually matter. I swear it's a brilliant observation and spin by you today because this may be the best day of Nick Sirianni's career with the eagles since getting to the super bowl i
2: swear evan Evan, aren't they basically saying we're gonna take the blueprint that got us there before we had two strong coordinators we're gonna let nick do what he does really well shane was great john was great they were great we got to the super bowl let's get great guys last year we tried to get young guys and that was a mistake We've recognized it. Let's go get guys who have done this position before. Last week at the Super Bowl, I talked to Britton Covey, and he admitted, yeah, we probably should have hired a veteran coordinator on the offensive side last year. And one of the things he said was, teams adjusted to us, but we didn't make adjustments. I thought that was pretty powerful to hear.
8: Yes, and I now think about what Kyle Shanahan did at the Super Bowl, and I'll flip it on you. If Nick Sirianni had a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl, does he have a better chance of winning that game, this specific one, than Kyle Shanahan? Because are we going to now say that what he's actually good at is knowing what to do situationally? Here's where I'm going to go for it. Here's where I'm going to punt. Here's where I'm actually going to kick off in overtime versus getting the ball in overtime. And all of a sudden, we have now in our minds made Nick Sirianni into Belichick. Situation. Well, the funny part is,
2: all right, so they did have a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl last year right. and lost that game. I'm talking about this specific I, one I because
8: this love- one's different, right? Because yes. this 10-point well,
2: lead was in the first quarter versus, you know, later in the game. I think yeah. we heard the hint from Jason Kelsey that they would not have taken the ball there. And a lot of Eagles fans, you know, over the time had said, why do they always defer? Take the ball because your defense stinks. Don't put them on the field first. Go down and set the Tone, but Nick doesn't cave to that. He generally will go and defer. So you think that they, yes, they probably situationally would have done things a lot differently. Now the thing with Shanahan that I find interesting, you guys were discussing this this morning. At what point is just making the playoffs and being the thirteen and and four team where? This happened in Philly with Andy. They just couldn't get over the hump, couldn't get over the hump, couldn't get over the hump. They finally said, you know what? It might be time that you just go someplace. Not that you did a bad job, but, like, at what point does that come in for the 49ers? Because I think everybody is watching this wondering, Is Shanahan got this group as far as he can? So it's a great
8: question, and it is a discussion point that we had. So I've been saying now for, for the better part of the last week, that I feel like Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco is Andy Reid in Philadelphia. And Chris Canty, who obviously is one of our three co-hosts, along with Michelle Spolman and I, has fought back, I think, really, really um, sharply in the, well, let's not assume he's Andy Reid in Kansas City. Let's not add that part of it, right? But Andy's and had his I- problems with time management and situational oh, yeah. football. Definitely, definitely. But by the way, you saw on the inside the NFL or the NFL Films thing, Mahomes knows this stuff inside and out because he was the one going over to Andy Reid. They're going to call this. They're going to call that. So he knows that. So he's got somebody next to him. But here's here's the way I would look at it. So in this spot, Kyle Shanahan, one year away from Andy Reid in Philly, which outside looking in, you're a part of it. Your fans are a part of it. I'm not as close to it as you are. I look back, even though it's probably not this way in the moment, as them both saying to each other, we tried. We really had a great run it's probably time to go our separate ways. I know Andy was actually fired. I get that. But to me, that's how
2: I look at this Niners situation. Well, let me tell you, Friday I was at the Super Bowl and Sal Powell was on with me and said, if they lose, do they have to think about firing or moving on from Kyle Shanahan? I almost fell out of my seat, like, thinking, what, are we at that point in, in, like, we almost search for perfection in everything we do in, in, in sports. And it's like, This guy, we talked to analysts all year long. How many tell you, oh, he's the premier play caller and designer in the league. And we get to a point where we're like, eh, you're not good enough. And somebody else is going to pick that up and take it to where he can. It's just such a weird thought. But when Sal said that to me, Evan, I was like, are you kidding me? We got to think about
8: On Friday, that your reaction is correct. Yes.
2: And now today.
8: (laughs) Okay. So here's the question I got to ask you in return. I think there are three jobs going into next season, Eagles being one of them, in the NFL that are the rarity, which would be a potential opening with a Super Bowl-caliber team. I think Philadelphia, if they don't have a big run, could move on from Sirianni. Dallas from McCarthy, Mike McCarthy. And I I believe former Eagles assistant Sean McDermott with the Bills, if they don't have a big run, they could move on from them. Okay, so those are three jobs that I would look at and say – none of those coaches have done a bad job they just haven't done a great enough job and and two of the three in McDermott and McCarthy I think could be hired the next day I think the reputation around Sirianni is weird as you know better than I do I don't know that he's hired the next day but he's done you can't say he's done a bad job here's the question I have is there a fourth coach is Shanahan with those three guys now
2: after all of this it feels like it could get there like if they have a year like the eagles just had where they went to the super bowl one year and then the next year you get off to a good start and then it gets a little bumpy and you're like what happened i don't know how to that might be them getting their opportunity to kind of say you know what this is the time you did great we had a lot of runs great memories it might be time to move on
8: yeah and by the way so Niners move on from Shanahan. Guess what? If all of a sudden Jeffrey Loria announced that Kyle Shanahan is taking over for Nick Sirianni, I think Eagles fans should be happy. Like, I don't think that's a bad – you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, this is not somebody that you're firing because, oh, my God, what a horrible job. This is just like, hey, we, we had eight years at that point together. We came so close. We have no regrets over this run. You need a different scene. We need somebody else. Like, let's just together move on. Like, this feels like it's heading towards that amicable split. And think about it. This is the best time, Mike, in my opinion, in my memory, to be a coaching free agent. There is a chance that someone next year, Belichick, Vrabel, could choose between this Niners roster slash Purdy, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence.
2: Uh, yeah, it's it, and the fact that this football season will start without Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, as a head coach and by the way I said if there was an expansion team that started this year they could hire Belichick Vrabel and Biennemi and have a nice staff right there and say let's go at it and take our shot Evan Cohen on Sportsmanlike weekday morning 6 a.m. on 97.3 ESPN what about Jason Kelsey what's better for him to just say I'm done or play one more year
8: Well, I didn't know about his love affair with Sirianni, so now I'm starting to think maybe the one more year may make sense. I don't – okay. I wonder if his media contract price is higher now than it will ever be. And I don't think he's going to be motivated by money. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. He's got more money than he probably knows what to do with. He seems like the kind of guy that's motivated by doing the right thing with the right people. That's what he seems like he's – I'm sure – obviously he loves football. But I just don't know that his price is ever going to be higher than it is right now. You know, all of a sudden he goes back to playing next year. They're fine but not great. Who knows what happens with his brother and and potentially, you know, and, and Taylor Swift and everything like that. Like, I just think that – is it a strike while the iron's hot? Is it all kind of setting up for him? He had this Hall of Fame career, and now he's like a double-digit million-a-year guy probably in media.
2: Uh, feels that way. And he's
8: probably going to do non-sports. Like if you're a network, Mike. I mean, you know this stuff. Like if you're, if you're, let's just use the one that I work for. If you're Disney, I mean, you're not just putting him on ESPN. He's on he ABC programming. He's doing Disney Plus reality shows with his family. Right. He's doing non-sport. Kelsey's Places with Peyton Manning in Omaha. Like there's That's a good so one. much more. That's right. A good one. There's so much more with this guy. That I don't know, a year from now, do we forget that he's like the hottest? I mean, think about it. The former head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, who I thought was was a big-time coach, and I thought in his early start with Philadelphia was amazing. You want to talk about some – I'm going to get to who I'm talking about in a second. Talk about somebody whose stock is through the roof and is lowered over the course of time. Chip Kelly's voluntarily the offensive coordinator
2: for Ohio State. That story was wild. I, when I saw that last week, I was like, are you kidding me? Um, and, and the mindset behind that. That'll be interesting to see what Kelsey ends up doing here. Because you wonder, too, if the Eagles are secretly like, you know what? We don't really need to pay you $14 million to come back. We have a lot of cap issues. So maybe you just uh, go and entertain everybody. All right, Who pays him Who pays him more? Eagles or Amazon? Well, he made 14 and a million this year. I would imagine he gets a raise if he comes back. Is Amazon paying their analyst or or somebody on that set over $14 million? Uh, well, I'm going to answer your question
8: with a question. Does he provide Amazon any access to Taylor Swift?
2: Uh maybe meh. reality show. If they, if if she's in one, he gets him a conversation. Action. He gets him a conversation. All right, he gets him at least a Zoom meeting, like we're having right now. <laughs> yeah, very similar. You and I getting fourteen million for this. <laughs> uh, all right, let me switch over to some NBA stuff with Evan Cohen here. I talked about this yesterday. This whole Woj thing, and that most people looked at it from LeBron and. And Curry playing together I of course saw the call that Maury made to LeBron and said hey you want to come here and then of course Palinka says well is Joel Bede uh available but the takeaway that I get from this Evan is does the LeBron Laker era feel flat
8: okay interesting question on this um can I just ask you one thing because I was thinking about this the other day too if Daryl Morey was an NFL GM, would he call the Chiefs
2: right now for Mahomes? Well, would Mahomes be putting hourglass? Uh... No, 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 no. <laughs> I just
8: want to know, if Daryl Morey ran an NFL team, would he call Andy Reid and say, what can I give you for Mahomes? Uh,
2: maybe. What? I mean, he's doing his due diligence, right? Yeah. That's yes.
8: That's that's Mike not wanting to attack Daryl Morey there. Kissing the butt for the next interview he gets on Morey.
2: Well, I mean, the whole thing was convoluted to begin with. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, who knows what happened when LeBron was a free agent. There was all these rumors that he was looking at schools in Philly. And who knows what kind of relationship these people have. But okay. like LeBron James is the biggest of big stars in the history of the sport. He's on the most noticeable team in that sport, and I feel that LeBron on the Lakers has just kind of fallen flat. I mean, I know he has a title. That- no, I
8: I understand why you're asking that. I would say this first of all: Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA insider reporter, analyst, Hoop Collective podcast, who I think is unbelievable. He has a thing where he always says, "You never apologize for a title," right? The Eagles don't have to apologize that they won a title with a backup quarterback. It does not matter. They still won a Super Bowl, okay? So the first thing is let's acknowledge LeBron won a title in L.A. Mm -hmm. There is an argument to be made of the four different stops that LeBron has had, three teams, four stops, how I look at it, that even with the title, there's an argument that this is the fourth best stop. Cleveland initially is third right, his first stop, goes to the finals in 07 against the Spurs, loses. You're going to think I'm crazy, but I'm a Heat fan, so maybe – But I think Miami's one, the second Cleveland run is two, the first Cleveland run is three, the Lakers is four. Most people would say the, the second Cleveland one is number one. So this is arguably the worst of his four stops, and it's actually of the recent ones, the one he's been at the longest. You don't think about that. He's been with the Lakers longer than the second time with the Cavs and longer than the Heat. So what he's had here are way more down years
2: than any other stop yeah. along the way while winning a title. Yeah. I, and when we were looking at his record there, I was like, this guy's been like 500 there saved for the title. They were 52 and 19 and then went to the bubble and ended up winning the championship. So, but the rest of it, it's just like, you got LeBron James on the Lakers. It just feels meh. And, uh, this whole trade thing, which turns me into my next thought. Uh, so I don't know how you view Steph Curry. But do you view Steph Curry... So, in other words, he was drafted seventh by Golden State. (laughs) Minnesota had the fifth and sixth pick that year. They took Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. So they could have taken Curry. Is Curry, in your mind, the kind of player that if he would have gone to Minnesota, that that franchise would have been a completely different franchise as we know him? Or is Steph Curry... Did he just land with the perfect situation that has elevated him to a completely different stratosphere than he would have been had he been on a different team? So I think he would have absolutely transformed
8: Minnesota. I don't think they would have won four championships. I think that both things can be true, kind of, right? Like he could be better in Golden State because of the infrastructure. Uh, Governorship and Joe Lacob has proven to want to spend money. Obviously, it's easy to spend money when you make money. And Steph Curry's helped make the money. Bob Myers was a phenomenal general manager for them. Steve Kerr is amazing. And they have a mantra there with that team, and it's about joy. Like, they they literally say we lead with joy. And I know that in Philly or New York, where I am, we don't necessarily lead with joy. We we lead with griminess in Philly, Jersey, and New York. We lead with, like, competitiveness and and stuff like that. But I think Steph Curry was in the right – environment of like they want their players to be happy they want their players to live their lives and be interactive with the community and everything like that and i think that they he just was in the perfect situation but steph curry has proven to me too many times that regardless
2: of the situation he's a one-on-one kind of player by the way the, just, the knicks had the eighth pick that year they took a jonah hill who is uh no longer they didn't take hill.
8: <laughs> that's an actor and a comedian
2: <laughs> uh who was the pick
8: it was they general- took the guy out of Arizona. Is that who you're talking about? Uh what was his was his name Hill? Yeah, I thought you, the guy out of Arizona, the power forward?
2: Yeah. If hey, I'm not
8: mistaken. Yeah, Jordan he,
2: Hill. Is you talking Jordan about? Hill, right, right, right. what did I say? Jonah Hill. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm yeah. I'm off base there. But yeah. The Knicks could have had I mean, Curry one pick away, they they uh yeah. got it right there. Jordan Hill from Arizona, yeah. yes.
8: Yeah. I mean, I think I think Curry is the kind of guy that is transformational for an organization. But that's with any anybody. Like you, ha- sometimes you're just in the right spot with the right team and the right organization.
2: Well, like, like LeBron, okay. for instance, when he went to Cleveland, they had nothing there. He got them to a finals, and they were the best team in the East with nothing. Like is Curry? Would he have been the guy that takes like the Charlotte Hornets and makes them like a championship contender? Well, Yeah, you picked the wrong team
8: on that one because that's where he's from. His dad is on the broadcast there. So like even more so on that one, but like let's look at, let's look at a guy we were just talking about. Jason Kelsey's going in the Hall of Fame. Okay. We know about his brother. I believe as someone who's never lived in Philadelphia, I believe Jason Kelsey is as Philly as anyone who has ever been that is not from there. There's some people that just fit in the environment and with the team that they're in. Like most Philadelphia sports fans probably will not acknowledge that Jason Kelsey's actually from Ohio. Because in your mind, rightfully so, he is as Philly as could be. Yeah. And like that, just he I don't know. Would he have been the same Hall of Fame player somewhere else? Or is he in the perfect if he was with the Chargers, is Jason Kelsey a Hall of Famer? Does he feel LA or San Diego at the time? No. If if with the Dolphins, I mean, he
2: feels Philly. He's just in the right spot. That's fair. Uh, Evan Cohen, are you excited to watch Tiger this week? Uh,
8: if you tell me, if you tell me he's in the lead, yes, I am. I love Tiger. I think that Tiger, the biggest mistake I think Tiger made from a golf perspective years ago is Tiger could have been the one man live tour. I said forever that I thought that Tiger should break off and start his own tour, and I think all the sponsors would actually have followed him. And and people would have – golfers would have joined him if he's just like, wait, the PJ Tour? I'm bigger than the PJ Tour. They're never going to prevent me from playing in the Masters if I break off. But, yeah, he is the sport. And it, and, it, and I know golf fans that are listening right now on 97.3 are like, oh, what are you talking about? Look how good this guy is and that guy is. No, <laughs> Tiger's the sport. Tiger's the sport. He's the biggest thing in sport. Yeah. His, the sport. his The fact that his Sunday Red is three words creates a topic. Because it's not
2: two words; it's three words.
8: I don't even know any other golfers' brands that they have if they have any
2: outside of Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, et cetera. Yeah, he's partnering. Well, he Taylor Made is going to. Uh, it's a weird thing, but yes, Sunday Red is the new. Uh, but
8: Mike, here's the thing: you know about it?
2: Oh yeah, I know. I, I was. I, I have written on my piece of paper here to remind me to to ask you about it. My 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 handwriting's not great, but it does say Sunday Red. Yeah, but that's the thing. What we do in radio, just to clue everybody in,
8: is a lot of times we realize as we're talking, wait, I'm going too deep on something. I got to pull back. That's what just happened with Mike. He knows everything there is to know about the Taylor made Sunday red relationship. And he realized, what the hell am I doing talking about this? But that proves how big Tiger is oh, that Mike man. is sitting there knowing all this information.
2: Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to see how he performs this weekend, because it's been quite a story with uh, the accidents and the injuries and the fact that he's back out there. It's kind of crazy to think about this guy. Uh, 48 years old. Uh, Masters, by the way, coming up in, in uh, April. We'll uh, be taking a look at that, but Tiger's back. NBA All-Star weekend. We'll keep our eye on Kelsey. All that, and of course, Evan Cohen tomorrow morning. We'll be talking about it on Unsportsmanlike with Canny and Michelle right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Evan. Thanks, man. Can I ask you one more quick thing?
8: Do we have one second? You do. Over, under games play Joel Embiid, rest of the season. I'll put it at .5.
2: Oh, .5. Now, we asked our Sixers insider yesterday, and I was pretty surprised. He said he was pretty confident that he would return. Regular season? Yes. Now, I asked Dr. Chow at the Super Bowl, and he said he did not anticipate him coming back. Now, the doctor said he didn't anticipate him. Our Sixers insider said he was pretty confident. I don't know who has better information, but I'll take the over. I actually said the game he will be back is April 12th. I think they play. They have a horrible end-of-season road trip schedule. They play like four on the road, one at home, two on the road, one at home, three on the road. So there's not a great spot for him to kind of get a couple games in. So I think he'll get three games in before the end of the year. Three.
8: So that would be, I'm just looking right now, April 9th, Detroit. These are all home. 9th against Detroit, 12th against Orlando, 14th against Brooklyn. That's a good, you know what? That's a good job by you. That's the week, easier teams, little, you know, 20 minutes a night max. All
2: right, you know what? That's interesting. So you can take the over on that. You take the over on that, Evan. All right. Thank you as always. Evan Cohen, everybody, tomorrow morning at 6 right here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. And of course, we got plenty more to go, including the Flyers tonight. The Flyers are in action against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And you can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. They handed out the C. And that's next.
0: We have the perfect. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
1: We're sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app.
2: Sports Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's up, everybody? This hour of the show brought to you by Broadleys Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907. Visit them online, broadleys.net. Thanks to Evan Cohen. He'll be on tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. here on 97.3 ESPN. Kind enough to join us here on the Sports Bass. So the Flyers have named their 20th captain in franchise history. Yes.
3: I was just going to say, I did think it was really fun with Evan Cohen that he said, I thought I was coming here on here to talk Sixers.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, Phil, the the Eagles have been done for so long. I didn't prep him on what I was going to ask him.
3: I just got a chuckle out of it because he's like, you know, Mike, you always invite me on here. I always say I'll come on anytime. I'll, but he's like, I thought we were going to talk Sixers, but then you bring this to me. All right, fine, let's there go.
2: go. <laughs> uh, flyers named Sean Couturier the twentieth captain in team history. They also gave the A to Travis Konechny and Scott Lawton. So mm-hmm. uh, after a year of not having anybody and then last year they had four alternate captains but no captain on the team they go back to having a captain he is the 20th captain in team history so Josh can you name Oh no <laughs> I don't want to go all the way back but can you go back to Can I name
3: <laughs> Yeah can I name any of them is Can you asking? go
2: back to <sighs> the first captain that I remember Okay, now Bobby Clark was the captain for right, a lot Bobby of years. Clark. But I don't really remember Bobby Clark. He, his last year as a captain was the 83-84 season. Okay. After him. Can I name you? He is the first captain that I remember. Do you know who that was? So you're going back. Like 84? 84-85, and he was the captain up until the 90 season, and they got replaced in season. Dave Pullen? Dave Pullen is the captain, yes. He is the first captain that I remember. Okay. So when I was a kid, the first captain I remember was Dave Pullen. Like Bobby Clark, I, I vaguely remember Bobby Clark, but like in 83, I'm I, you know, i just not cognizant enough to like understand who the hell the captain was and what that even meant. Right. Dave Pullen was the first one. That I really remember. Like, that I'm like, oh, okay, Dave Poland's the captain of the team. Right. And after him, I wouldn't have guessed this one. Uh, was Brian Prop? Brian Prop never the captain. Never the captain. No. All right. He must have had an A on his chest. By the way, before that, uh, the, uh, Lou Agnati was the first one. Ed Van Imp was the second one. And then Bobby Clark. Uh, Mel... Uh, Bridgman was in there and then Bill Barber then back to Bobby Clark okay and then Dave Pullen so they had a bunch early Clark was the most then Pullen and then after that it's like started I mean they had some stable ones for a little while there but Pullen went to
3: uh well I tried a prop that was wrong so yeah
2: prop didn't even wear the a I don't think I don't see him on the a list that's here surprising either. Yeah, I was surprised. Let me see. Uh, no, I don't see prop on the A-list at all. I'm assuming then that Tim Kerr might have
3: been on the A-list. Then.
2: Um, you know what? I thought Timmy Kerr was a captain at one point, but it doesn't look like he wore the C or the A.
3: Good grief. Um, I mean, who would have been after pulling it that way? Yeah, point? this
2: one, I don't think. Ron Sutter was the one after pulling He okay. wore it for a year. And then. That's something Billy Schwein would have known. Maybe. You're giving him credit now. Well, I mean, I give credit where credit's due. Mm. All right. Um, after Sutter, this guy wore it for a year. A and year. He's a pretty high-profile flyer. Mark Recke? Uh Recchi, I don't know that Recchi, I think Recchi wore the A. He I He wore don't the A at one point. I don't know. I know him and Recky wore the A games. in uh, only two years. No, three years, four years, five years. Okay, he wore it for five, there he is. So, Recky wore the A okay. for a five year. The reason he didn't wear the the C is because the, this guy was on the not this guy I am talking about Lindros. But before Lindros, there was two captains. Oh, there are two before Lindros. they each wore it for one year. Wow,
3: I mean, who had been the guy before Lindros?
2: Ah, uh, I am drawing a blank. So, one of them has uh, been, and I believe is right now, uh, a head coach, Craig Berube. Noberubi, Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett wore the C in ninety one, ninety two. He's currently the coach of Vancouver. And then this guy wore it for one year before Lindros took it over. Okay, and that was Kevin Dineen. All right, I remember the Dineen year. And then Lindros had it, and he wore it for a you know one, two, three, four, five. He then wore it in the sixth year and I believe got traded. And um, then Eric Desjardins took it over. Took it over. Okay. Desjardins wore it for one, two, and then started the year with it. And then he, I think, got traded. And Keith Primu took it over. So you're not letting me guess anymore. You're just going on the list now. No, I mean, all right. So Keith Primu took it over. Because I knew Primu wore it. That's what I was going to guess him. All right. So Primo wore it and then gave it to this guy. Okay. He gave it to this guy. Uh, so we're talking about, like, early in to season. mid-2000s. 2005-6. Primo wore it half the year. The other guy wore it the other half.
3: Was <sighs> this where Chris Pronger came in?
2: Uh, Pronger wore it a little bit further down the road. Oh, okay,
3: down the road. Okay, yep. so I was a little too early on the Pronger. Pronger's one though. Um, how about Jeremy Roenick?
2: Jeremy Roenick did not wear the C for did the Flyers. Did not wear the C. No. All right.
3: I'm trying to think of a guy who would have been, again, a big enough name for premium to hand it off to.
2: Um, he, he was a big guy. And it was a big name. But the Flyers got him at the time that the league was kind of changing. Darren and, Hatcher. There you go. Darian Hatcher uh, wore it there. And then for one year, this guy wore it. And they got him. He was kind of coming off. I mean, he was past his prime when they ended up reacquiring Philip him. Philip Forsberg. Peter Forsberg. Peter Forsberg, yeah. That is correct. a There is a... Peter, <laughs> Forsberg Peter Forsberg wore it uh, for one season. <laughs> I don't remember this guy who wore it in, in 07, 08, Jason Smith. Who the heck is that? I don't know. He wore it for one year, and then is when the next era kind of came around. Well, I say the, the, I say the next era. This guy wore it for three years in a row. Is this where Pronger came in? No, Pronger's right after this oh, guy. Oh, right after this guy. Yep, this oh, guy wow. wore it for three, and then Pronger. Then Pronger. Mm-hmm. Pronger worked for one.
3: Simone Gagne?
2: Um, Gagne did not wear the C. He wore the A. Okay, so he did wear A letters. I didn't remember that properly. Okay, so what yeah, Gagne had them. the A. One, two, three, four, quite a few years there. Four, five.
3: What about Danny Briere?
2: No, Briere. Briere actually wore the A. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. So I'm just naming random letters at this point. I'm not actually naming the captain.
2: Well, I mean, uh, this guy, when he. They thought he was going to wear it for a while. They went to a Stanley Cup with him with the C on. Mike Richards? Mike Richards is correct. So Richards wore it for three, and then Pronger wore it for one. Of course, he got hurt and uh, had the concussion issues, Mm -hmm. and then the final C was worn by Giroux. By Giroux. There you go. They did not have a C last year, and this year it is Sean Couturier. So, for
3: you, Mike, you know, you're not a hockey diehard guy, but do you feel there's a significance of them giving Couturier the 20th? See, or do you feel like it's just like, ah, oh, it's cool? Well, you know? I
2: did not hear. I know, um, Torch spoke about it today. He was asked about, like, why, because he had been pretty insistent that they weren't going to name one just to name one. I did not hear his, um, expository as to why the decision was made when it was to all of a sudden. You know, last year they did have um they didn't have a captain last year, but they had four alternates. The A is for alternate, by the right. way, for those of you out there who are wondering what the heck we're talking about with C's and A's. Um Kevin Hayes, Scott Walton, Ivan Provorov and Sean Couturier all wore A's last year, but they did not have anybody wear the C. So I mean, I think it's a sign that Sean Couturier is the long-term kind of face of this team. And that doesn't mean, like, the captain is not always the best player. But it's the guy who kind of personifies what you want the style of the team to be and what you, you know, want everybody to kind of follow. But he's 31 years old now. So to say, hey, you're the guy, you're the captain of this team, I think it's a good Example of what the Flyers hope their style of play will become. Right, uh, Couturier is a great two-way player. He's a guy who plays just as much defense as he does offense, and that is the kind of guys that Tortorella and the Flyers are looking for. They want guys uh, that are going to be two-way guys. They want guys who are going to be you know tough, and he kind of personifies that. So I think they kind of and remember, he was hurt a lot. He's finally, like, healthy. So I think the timing of it is we think you're healthy, and we think you're the right guy to be the symbol of what we want to be and who we want to be and where we want to go from here. And that's why the timing feels right to give it to you right now.
3: It's interesting also because, like, we mentioned the last hour, the Flyers are a playoff contender right now. So They're not
2: only a contender. They are – I would say they are firmly in a playoff spot now. That doesn't mean you're locked in, but no, no. they are, They would have to really fall apart.
3: But well, my question, may not a question, but my thought is, is that is is naming Sean Couturier connected to the fact that this team is moving up the ladder in terms of you know who they are as a franchise on and off the ice.
2: Well, that's what I'm kind of saying is I think it's connected to where they are. We're a playoff team. We want to be a playoff team. We might not make a trade. And if we don't make a trade, we need someone to be the voice in that locker room to keep everybody together. You know, you might be saying, why didn't we make a trade? We're in the playoffs. What, what are we doing here? We need you to be the guy that says to everybody, the picture is much bigger than right now, mm-hmm. and we're all going to be a part of it. I'm going to be the face of this. I want you to trust me that we're a good team right now, but this organization has bigger thoughts. They need someone other than just Tortorella getting that message to the players. And I think that's why they pick a guy like Couturier. He's 31. He's been here. He's a two-way player. He's a guy that they can say, we need you to convey the message to the players that if we don't make a trade, don't give up on us because we have much bigger plans. That's why I think he's the right guy at this right time.
3: Now, the other question I have is, and I'm also going to ask Kevin Durst for this when he joins me today on game night. Does Lawton and Konechny getting the letters affirmed as well, is that a statement they are not getting traded?
2: Not necessarily, no. Because as I just kind of uh, went over, over the years, the Flyers have traded uh, captains over their time. But there's been split years. And both right. of those guys, by the way, Lawton and Konechny, um Now, Lawton wore the A last year. Konechny's new. I think both of those guys could still be moved. But I talking to Durso on Tuesday's show, I mean, he kind of – didn't seem very um he didn't seem like it was very likely the flyers were going to do much i mean they'd have to probably get knocked over to just trade a guy just to trade him
3: yeah well i mean that and that's what Briere said a, a month ago which is you know he said look we're not going to trade our top assets for short-term results you know he said you know we, we have to he he described the drysdale couturier as a a very unique situation not a hey because they didn't want to trade, uh, Gautier. They felt they had to.
2: Uh, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Sean Couturier, the 20th captain in Flyers franchise history. Flyers tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN. They take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Kevin Durso will join game night tonight at 6.20 to preview the game and more football at four as Andrew Decheco today. Sound of the day. Austin Krell will talk Sixers at five o'clock tonight.
1: The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3
2: ESPN and the free mobile app. So, yesterday, Josh, I told you about the uh, show Jury Duty Freebie, Amazon Prime. Yes. So, I finished it last night. All right. It's not like a little mini series, it's like six episodes. Okay, interesting. So, I told everybody, it's not a spoiler, like they tell you right out in front. Like, it's a fake trial, judge is fake, the lawyers are fake. The case is fake. There's the one guy who thinks it's real. The jury's fake, except for one guy on the jury. That's it. Everybody in it is fake, except for this guy. Okay. So he thinks that this is a real trial, and he's taking it really, really, really serious. And he ends up having, of course, he's like the foreman. He's got to be the speaker. And he's got to get everybody to kind of, like, go the same direction on the vote. Like, he's trying to get everybody to get a unanimous decision here. And so at the end of the thing, I don't want to, like, you know, they basically say, hey, you know, they, they, they decide on the case whether the guy was guilty or, or not guilty. And the judge calls him up there and he's like, you know, hey, at the beginning of this, I told you this is my last case as a judge. So, but what I didn't tell you is it's also my first case as <laughs> the judge. He said, everybody <laughs> here is an actor. The look on this dude's face was priceless. I mean, absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And then after that, like they showed you, you know where they put cameras, how they kind of like like distracted him at times so that the crew could go rehearse part of the scenes and stuff. Oh, my Like, goodness. some of the things that they did, you know, one of the guys fell down and got hurt, and he's like, did you really fall? Like, did you really get hurt? And the guy's like, no. <laughs> like, so I'm wondering, like, if anybody watched this show Jury Duty, it's on Amazon Prime. It's, like, kind of like a mockumentary style, like, a kind of like The Office, but for jury. At what point would anybody say... I am out on this jury case. Like, would somebody have called somebody out? Or would you just kept going along and going along and going along with it? Like, there were some crazy things that happened that forced this case to do. Like, they got sequestered. Like, they had to stay in a hotel room for 17 days. My goodness. All this stuff just kept happening and this poor guy is playing along with it the whole time. Pretty pretty funny. Uh so if anybody has seen that show it's called Jury Duty. It's on uh, Amazon Prime through Freevee. So I've not quite figured out like the whole Freevee Amazon Prime is commercials. That's a little annoying But Uh football at 4 is on the other side Andrew Dechecco. What does he think about Hassan Reddick's future in Philadelphia? That's next.
1: ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Andrew DiCecco. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast.
7: We're never satisfied. That hunger for more. That hunger for more. I have it. Everyone has it. Now
2: live, this is Football at Four. Football at Four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport Whatever the moment, it's never ordinary. Bet three, six, five. If Andrew DiCicco was a betting man, would he be betting on Hassan Reddick returning to Philadelphia? We'll get into that and much more on this edition of Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast with my man Andrew DiCicco is here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. AD, what's up, my man? MG, doing well, man. What's happening? Everything is good. Uh, you know, the dust has settled on the Super Bowl, and obviously that means the offseason is officially here, and we already have news in Philadelphia with this Hassan Reddick stuff. So if you were a betting man there, Andrew DiCicco, are you betting on seeing Hassan Redick back in Philadelphia this year?
4: I do, and this is one of the things where Hassan Reddick is clearly the Eagles' best pass rusher they don't have a lot behind him. There's questions there with Josh Sweat. He seemed to, he, his play tailed off late in the season. So you wonder if, if that's a if that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. He's also entering the last year of his deal. Nolan Smith, there's a big question mark there. I think they really think oddly of Hassan Redick. It's just a matter of both sides coming to an agreement. Do I view him as a $25 million a year player? Probably not. I think, but I could certainly see them. Saying how about twenty two million and trying to maybe around that area, see so if you're able to, to sort of come to an agreement there. But he's too valuable for the Eagles. Twenty seven sacks in two seasons, a difference maker as a pass rusher. Yes, he didn't. He went radio silent the second half of last season, but so did everyone on that defense. And I think that that atrocity of a defense was a byproduct of, of sort of. Uh, diminishing returns on some of those bigger marquee players so i think that the eagles are going to find a way to make it work
2: yeah i mean this is obviously him saying i think i should get more money the eagles are saying "Eh, not all that interested in paying more money if you think you can go find more money we'd be interested in listening there and i guess uh, this has to do with your article over at 97, excuse me, over at insidethebirds.com, Andrew, which is second year players. So let's start with Nolan Smith. I mean, is Nolan Smith in your mind a guy that could replace uh, Hassan Reddick right now?
4: No, not, not next season. He needs to get a lot stronger. There's obviously questions about his shoulder. He made a weird comment last week. I guess it was around training camp towards the end of it and uh, of preseason that sometimes my shoulder works and sometimes it doesn't. And he he sort of laughed about it. So you wonder if that's going to be something that continuously happens. You wonder if he's going to eventually have to have uh, shoulder surgery. But but ultimately he needs to get a lot stronger. He He's largely unproven. And the Eagles made that mistake last year in putting all their eggs in the Kobe Dean basket, building your entire plans around him without having much to back it up. And right now, if, if they go into it thinking or assuming that Nolan Smith is going to be able to kind of just fill right in and, and be a, a 10 sack a guy like Hassan Reddick is a double digit sack guy, I think that that would be malpractice. And I certainly don't think, given how much the Eagles value their pass rush, that they would they would take that they they would take that into account. So I, that's why I think that they're going to find a way to to make it work with Hassan.
2: Yeah, that, uh, that'll that be something to keep an eye on because I think you're right. I mean, if you're just saying, hey, we're going to let Hassan Reddick walk and kind of turn those snaps over to Nolan Smith, you don't know what you're getting from Josh Sweat. I mean, kind of seems like a, a tough situation. Uh, but the hard part is I think the Eagles, Andrew, do you agree, probably feel – they got burned a little bit by giving a contract to a guy who's going to be in his thirties. You know, last year with Bradbury, and they might be looking at the same situation as. I mean, uh, do you think that Reddick is kind of taking a step backwards?
4: No, not really. And you have to you have to also think that he really hasn't. He, he's been in different systems and he's been productive. I don't think there's been a, a ton of wear and tear in terms of Hassan Reddick. I think that he still, you can argue, is in his prime. And he's just a dominant player that teams have to account for. Now, is he in the category of a Miles Ga- uh, uh, Garrett or a T.J. Watt and players of that uh, of that caliber? No, he's not. But he's still a very good player. He's a, maybe a tier below, and there's a lot of good players in that tier. So, I mean, look, there's, there's times where he was somebody you can count on as being the closer. And, and, and he wrecked shop in that NFC Championship game. So he's shown that he can take over games. And when you have a player like that, you have to find a way to make it work. I, I don't think with him approaching thirty a, a, in his position, it's a little bit different than, than maybe a corner position where you really can fall off drastically. If you can't move or cover, that's a, that's a big concern. But I think with, with, in Reddick's case, I think that if you're the Eagles, you you want to find a way to make it work. Now, when they signed him in that deal, knowing knowing you know if, if he played his capabilities. I kind of looked at it and said, this could be trouble a couple of years in if he provides them the returns that, that they're assuming that he's going to, and, and you know, here we are.
2: Uh, Andrew Checo Football 4, from the Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com. You wrote about a couple of guys that you're interested in, and, and there's a couple guys on this list that I want to dive a little deeper into because I think uh, uh, obviously these guys in the secondary. Uh, how many of the guys are going to get the opportunity, do you think, to get – deeper looks and legitimate playing time or do you think the Eagles go outside the organization to find maybe some corner and safety help there's our guys that are on the current roster that you think the Eagles should take longer looks at rather than going outside of the organization
4: well I think Keely Ringo is certainly a player that they have high hopes for and he showed promise and sort of you saw him progress the more snaps that he got. So I think that if you're the Eagles, you have to find a way to develop young defensive backs. They haven't done a really good job in that. And I think when you have one in Keeley Wrinkle, you have to find a way to make sure that you maximize and continue his growth. Now, Eli Ricks is another player that I I truly believe the Eagles really like. I don't know if they view him as a starter. I think they view him as more of a top backup corner, outside corner, that is, uh, you know, as a reserve option and somebody who can probably be a a spot starter if needed. Uh, Makai Garner is a player that I wrote about. Makai Garner is somebody that I think can be a depth safety, and that's important because the Eagles are going to be really light at that position, by all accounts, in the offseason. And he also offers the flexibility to play corner, but he's a young, cheap player that I think that he narrowly missed making the roster last year, so he's a player that I think could factor in there. Tristan McComb is another one that, yeah, he, I don't think that he's going to be suddenly eating into the significant snaps on defense this year, but again, you, when you look at cost-effective options, I thought that he showed some good signs in that Giants game late in the season when he was pressing the duty, and he's a good special teams player. So there, there, there are You can make a case for a couple of these young guys. Look, you can't have wholesale changes everywhere. You can't throw money at free agents and every free agent and, and assume that you're going to be able to, to kind of, you know, bring in talent that way. So I think you do have to nurture some young players. Um, obviously, they have talent in varying degrees, Kaylee Ringo being uh, on, on the higher end that could actually factor in defensively. Yeah, you got Ringo
2: Garner, Eli Ricks, uh, Isaiah Rogers. He's another kind of a wild card, right, that uh, could come into play yeah. here uh, because he sat out all last year coming over from the Colts. He got suspended for that gambling thing. But you would think – um, I don't know what's going to happen with Bradbury, whether he's going to be here or not. But Avante Maddox, no one really knows what his future. You would imagine that he might, they might move on for him with so many injuries that there is a, a spot or two open in that secondary.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And Isaiah Rogers is mostly an outside corner. I just wanted to kind of clarify that. I saw a lot of, on social media, oh, yeah, he can be the, the future slot and replace Avante Maddox. He's played some slots but that's not his primary. That's not his been his primary duties an outside corner. So maybe they, maybe they look at him there. I have a hard time envisioning Avante Maddox being back, just given the injury history. What's the point in keeping someone on the roster as good as you, as good as you think they may be if they're not available very often. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think that they need to look outside. Well, obviously you need to draft a corner and with in one of the, you know, day one or day two and get younger there and continue to nurture talent and develop. But I also think you might need to look at some free agent safeties. Uh, There's Deshaun Elliott from Miami. There's going to be the the kid uh, Darnell Savage is going to be available. Xavier McKinney is a player who would be a difference maker. So I I think they would get one veteran safety and then probably draft the safety on day two if I had to guess because you're not going to be able to address every area. So you have to get creative in how you allocate your resources.
2: Where do you see Tristan McCollum? Is he a guy that you would like to see on this roster next year?
4: Yeah, I like Tristan McCollum a lot. And uh, obviously the twin brother of Zion McCollum interviewed Zion before the draft, had a nice chat with him for our podcast on Inside the Birds. And uh, Tristan is a player that he quietly had a really good preseason, and it got overshadowed by Josh Job was came out of training camp as one of the, the training camp darlings, and he was the number three outside corner. And Eli Ricks had the pick six, remember, remember. So And Mario Goodrich had a good training camp as well. So I think Tristan McComb, while he was steady and consistent, sort of got overlooked. But if you really pay attention, he was getting uh, a lot of special team staffs with some starters. And he was one of the final cuts. So I think that – and him being on the practice squad primarily, he was one of the few. Joseph Ngata and Teron Jackson, the other two that were on the practice squad for the entirety of the season – He got his elevations. He did some really good things on special teams. And then when he was pressing his duty defensively, you saw him really his his sure tackling and football IQ really jumped out at me. And I've gotten a chance to talk to him a lot throughout the season and get to know him a little bit. And uh, he's really grown into his role. And he's up 10 pounds from his listed 195. So I think that he's a a project player that the Eagles would like to find a role for on the back end of the roster.
2: Right. Uh, Football 4 with Andrew DeCecco here on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. howie roseman mentioned to kobe dean likes him a lot but is there another linebacker on this team that you think uh is even maybe i don't want to say more intriguing but uh that will be intriguing come camp
4: (laughs) well yeah just to be clear he's not more intriguing but he's a player that i think is going to contend for a roster spot and that's ben van sumer and he runs a 4-4 tremendous uh athlete and can jump out of the building and um, another player that I got a chance to get to know throughout the season. And one of the things that he mentioned to me was, I had to improve on my instincts and things like that. He came into the Eagle, came into the NFL as a raw athlete. You saw it in the preseason. He was flowing sideline to sideline. Sometimes he maybe didn't know where he was supposed to be, but you, the athleticism was apparent. Then he got to learn behind some veteran linebackers, learn behind the Kobe Dean, make some plays. He started the Christmas Day game, and I thought he did a really good job all things considered and i mean that's something that's something to keep an eye on i think that he can earn a role as a, as the final linebacker and maybe who knows how vic van joe views him he may be someone that he likes situationally because of his athleticism and his uh, to to contribute in, in the second level uh, or maybe even as a blitzer who knows we don't know but he's a player that has translatable traits and develop, and he's worth developing So Ben Van Sumer and somebody to keep an eye on as we move through the offseason. All
2: right, Uh, there's a linebacker. We talked about linebacker and edge rusher. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you think about Julian Okwara, uh, a former third-round pick and, uh, you know, Lions last couple of years, kind of uh, 38 games, 54 tackles, 9 sacks. What kind of player do you think he is, more of just a special team depth guy, or is he a guy that intrigues you at all?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure he's going to make the roster. He hasn't done a whole lot in his career I always tell folks to the temper their expectations when they sign a player because a player of name value, right? He was a third-round pick. He was highly thought of coming out of Notre Dame. But he didn't really do much to the NFL level. He played in 38 games. Um, so it's a very limited uh, sample size to go off of there. I think that you, you swing the bat on a player like that and see if you're able to kind of harness that athleticism and get him to play to his potential and keep him healthy and things like that. They also did the – same thing with another 2020 third rounder in Terrell Lewis from Alabama. They signed him to a futures deal in January. So, I mean, and and why not? You see if you can sort of uh, get that t- get the most out of those players, and that at worst, you you know you part ways with them. But as far as Aquora, I just I just he, he's very slender. He's lean, and he hasn't really been able to make a name for himself as a consistent pass rusher in this league. Could he help situationally, perhaps? He's going to have to make his mark on special teams, but I'm not sure that that there's much there. But given the age and his pedigree, why not why not try to see if you're able to make it work?
2: All right, uh, we'll uh, get out on this one because a lot of people think one of the things on offense the Eagles need to find. You wrote about Joseph and uh, that they need to find a third wide receiver. Um, you know, is he a guy that you think can contribute in this offense next year?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joseph Ngata is someone that, if you remember back in training camp, he was like the sensation coming out of camp for the first half. His play sort of tailed off. He had, uh, I guess, he had trouble separating at the line of scrimmage. He, he needs to get. He needed to get stronger. And from my in my opinion, he did. I got to got a chance to talk to him a lot throughout the season to check in with him and see where he was at. But um I, I think that he has. Going back to college, he was somebody that I pinpointed a couple of years as being a breakout player. I really liked him coming out of uh, coming out of, uh, of when he arrived at Clemson in 2019, and it just never happened, right? He struggled with injuries a lot. He stayed healthy throughout training camp. And you got to see what he could do a little bit, but I think that everything happened a little bit too fast for him. He was able to kind of develop on the practice squad under Aaron Moorhead and be around guys like Julio Jones and, and A.J. and Devontae and, and learn under them. So I think that when you look at the receiving, uh, the receiving core right now, there's going to be jobs up for grabs. And I think that Ingata having one year in the system has an opportunity to do so. But he's going to have to be able to contribute on special teams. That third receiver role is going to be really critical. And, I mean, I would assume that they're going to address that either free agency or day three of the draft. And, and, and Britton Covey should get an opportunity there as well, with him being there two years and offering a different skill set, as we mentioned last week. So they're going to have a lot of decisions to make there as far as depth goes at the wide receiver
2: position. By the way, Britain says hello, and uh, he, he said that he obviously enjoyed your coverage and talking to you throughout the season. I did see you didn't think I would pass over your hello to him, but I did. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, Britain's a Britain's a great guy,
2: man. Britain's awesome, and he was very good. and gave us a lot of great insight. Uh, on I listened the, to it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's let's finish off with this because I did want to mention your mock draft over at uh, InsideTheBirds.com, and if uh, it's the 1.0, f- but I think of a lot of Eagles fans were reading your mock draft, which goes seven deep, so you can check out the full uh, mock draft 1.0 of all Eagles draft picks from Andrew. You like offensive line at number 22, for the first edition anyway.
4: Yeah, and I think, and, and you know this, Mike, but I think it's important for a lot of readers to understand that. This isn't what I would do. This is what I think the Eagles would do. Sticking with their philosophy on the offensive line or the defensive line, there's going to be a lot of high-end tackles that are, at least by my estimation, going to be available there at the tail end of the first round. You know that Lane Johnson's probably only got a couple years left, Max. He's 34 years old. You want to prepare for the future. The Eagles have been a team that are always progressive and thinking ahead. So, to me, that would make a lot of sense. Tyler Guyton, by the way, was my pick, and he was – He's been Lane Johnson's understudy. So I think that if he's available there and you're not able to get someone like a Quinion Mitchell who his stock is elevating, he may not be there at 22, the best value in that area would likely be offensive tackle. So I would think, given the Eagles' philosophical standpoint, they would probably reach for a tackle there. Or not reach, they would go with the tackle there.
2: Very good. And, of course, we'll back deeper on the draft uh, with Andrew as we get closer to that. Free agency is here. Moreover, at Inside the Birds... And, of course, Football at 4 right here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week, pal. Sounds good, man. Have a good week. Andrew DiCecco from InsideTheBirds.com is our guest on Football at 4, brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash. Hey, don't forget about my friends over at the Nizam's Indian Restaurant over there in Arbor Township, right in front of Bosco's. If you're looking for... That big dinner with a big party, people in town, even a small night. You and the lady post-Valentine's Day. Maybe you don't want to go out for the crazy Valentine's Day. You say, man, I've been hearing about this uh, Nizam's Indian restaurant with Mike on the Sports press. Let's go check it out. And I'm telling you, you'll be back for more. The flavors just start dancing in your mouth. It's pretty crazy to think about how we've driven by this place so many times. And you always say, you know what, I wonder what it's like in there. You go in, fantastic. You will be back again and again and again. they got a great buffet. They've got a great menu. The portion size are big. Go hungry, but try a bunch of things out. That's why I recommend if you have a party, like six or more, everybody can kind of get something different. It's the Nizam's Indian Restaurant. It was named the number two restaurant in the entire state of New Jersey. And you can go there because it's close, right around the corner right there in Egg Harbor Township at the old Shore Mall. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Fast Live on 97.3 ESPN. we got sound of the day coming up. Austin Krell at 5
5: o'clock, the big three, and more. It's the Sports Fast on 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts. So, you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones
6: who get it done.
1: The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN
2: and the free mobile app. 427 Sports Pass, 97.3 ESPN. Sound of the day. It's brought to you by Gallery Bar Book and Games. Ocean Casino Resort. Go to the ocean. Go to the gallery. Go for the win. For more info, visit OceanAC.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You know, uh, March Madness is going to be like the next big event, I guess. Is there something between? I get. guess. What's the next biggest betting event?
3: Biggest betting event? I yeah. mean, it would probably March Madness. Um, everything else is kind of like much smaller tiers at this point.
2: Like, do people go out and bet the Daytona 500?
3: I mean, I know people do bet it, but I don't think it's as big
2: of a... Yeah, you're not like going out to like to sit there Day- and watch the race, are to you? To me,
3: Daytona 500 is like betting a UFC fight. It's like there's a, there are people who will bet it, but it doesn't like... It doesn't have the same tier of like, we have to bet it and watch it, and we can't not watch and bet it. Like, it's kind of like, you do or you don't.
2: UFC AC car just got a switch. Uh, Sean Brady was the headliner. He got hurt. He's out. And they have announced the new main event.
3: Yeah, so Erin Blanchfield, she is from North Jersey. She is one of the top-ranked flyweights in all the world. If she wins this fight in Atlantic City, she will be the number one contender for the belt.
2: When's that fight in Atlantic City?
3: March 30th, I believe, top of my head. March 30th. Boardwalk Hall? Boardwalk Hall, yes, sir.
2: Okay.
3: First time in Atlantic City in six years for
2: the UFC. Yeah, 2018 was the last time they were here.
3: Yeah, that was a phenomenal card. It's just, it's going to be interesting to see because I know that they're not done building this card yet because of all the changes that have happened with some of the other cards. Like the, Some of the news came out this morning that uh, Hazmat Khmer will not be a part of UFC 300. So, you know, for him, he doesn't want to do it because so close to the, the beginning and end of Ramadan. So, you know, the UFC is basically, they're kind of like finalizing UFC 300, and then everything else is trickling out from that.
2: Okay. Well, listen, uh, UFC in Atlantic City, March the 30th. And uh, obviously, um, we always complain, or some people complain, oh, there's not vents here. They got to bring stuff here. You got UFC coming here to Atlantic City. Hopefully, uh, they do a good job. Yeah. Just now, so it like, doesn't help that there's been some injuries.
3: No, it doesn't. And Sean, I think, would have would have been a huge. Exciting guy to have on the card because he's fought in LAX. You called some of his fights with CFFC, so a lot of
2: his fights actually.
3: Yeah, um, a recognizable fighter who will be on the card as well is Chris Weidman, the former middleweight champion.
2: I believe I've called. Did I call one of his fights? I don't know. I'm trying to remember.
3: I have to look back, but I know Weidman is going to be on the card. So there are some uh, interesting names that are being added to the card over the last few weeks.
2: Okay. All right. I'm looking forward to it. March 30th. I will be home. And uh, if I am home, I probably will be attending. There you go. Mike, for Sound of the Day, I wanted to
3: track back to about an hour ago when you were speaking with Evan Cohen from the show uh, Unsportsmanlike here on 97.3 ESPN. And I in this in the spirit of football at four, I want to touch back what he said about
2: did not head call Wyman's fight by the way
3: you did not call Wyman's fight no yeah I, I don't I know I your... had him
2: confused with uh, I know who I had him confused with okay. i'll uh, I'll think of his name.
3: Gotcha. well, while you think about that, let's listen to Evan Cohen because he said that this upcoming coaching cycle might be the best time coming up, not the one we just had passed. But next year's coaching cycle might be the best for a free agent head coach. This is the best time, Mike, in my opinion, in my memory, to be a coaching free
8: agent. There is a chance that someone next year, Belichick, Rabel, could choose between this Niners roster slash Purdy, Jalen Hurts,
2: Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence. I heard him talk about this this morning. About how all of these jobs could be open next year. So that if you're a coaching candidate or free agent, that you're going to have kind of the pick of the litter. Right. Yeah.
3: So what do you think about, I mean, we obviously know in Philadelphia, you know, Sirianni's here, Mike McCarthy's in Dallas. But if we did get to a point where all these jobs were open next year, how would you rank them?
2: It's so hard to say. Who, what happened in free agency and the draft? How did these these seasons go? Did Shanahan get fired because the team got to the NFC Championship game and then was uh, fell apart again? Like you know, is that why he got fired? And now they're like, hey, we're there. We just need someone to get us over the hump. We've, we've now surmised that he can't. Uh, are the Eagles, uh, you know, did they have a dumpster fire of a season and now they're kind of looking to start over? Uh, do the Cowboys, Cowboys again, and just like go thirteen and four, go to the playoffs and lose? Uh, he mentioned Trevor Lawrence, I think, with uh, Jacksonville. Jacksonville. I don't know that Doug Peterson gets fired down there. He also
3: mentioned Buffalo.
2: Buffalo was the other one he mentioned. Now I think that's a possibility. If Buffalo, look, I said last year I thought they were their their window was closing, and I'm not sure that it was closed as much as I thought. But you lost again. If they don't win again, they have to start thinking that McDermott is kind of their version of Shanahan. Very good. Put us on the map, but we need someone to get us over the top.
3: It's interesting because I I laughed earlier today. You heard me laugh because I someone put on uh, social media because Bill Belichick's a free agent. He's done a job this year. And, you know, the idea of the 49ers fire Kyle Shanahan, you know, someone made a mock of, you know, J.R. saying, you know, oh, my God, here's Bill Belichick, you know, the glass shatters coming down the the runway. You know, would Bill Belichick be the guy for any of these jobs would be open?
2: Well, he's available, so, yeah, he's got to be on the list, obviously. I mean, if you have Bill Belichick sitting there, I would imagine if you're disappointed with what your expectations were and where you are, at that point do you say, all right, we thought we should have been here, we fell short, now we got to make the call to somebody that maybe we didn't want to make the call to. We didn't want to have to make that call. You know, it's almost like you are remodeling your house and you're trying to get estimates. And the best the best um, company gives you an estimate that you just can't really envision wanting to pay. So you go with the cheaper option, and then the cheaper option gets there. And you're like, I probably should have gone with the guy who... Gave me the better, you know, the higher estimate because I'm not happy with what's going on right now.
3: Right. The quality that you got.
2: Yeah. You know, the guys are late. They don't show up. You know, they're, they're, they leave a mess. Yeah. And the other guy was very reputable. You're trying to, like, like, uh, Belichick's the very reputable business, but he charges too much. The other guy is, the drop off, though, is so ridiculous. But you're, the price, you're just like, ah, it's too cheap. I got to try it at least. And then you're like, eh, I probably should have paid more money. Belichick's the more reputable business at this point.
3: You know, another job that could open, what if Brian Dable and the Giants do, don't do well this year? The Giants get rid of Dable and try to bring Oh, Malichick I would think back.
2: if they have a bad season, he would be in some trouble. Like, if they have another season where they're just not a playoff team, they're not competitive. Now, last year, the quarterback got hurt. I'm interested to see what happens with Saquon, what happens down that road again. Yep. They still need to get some help at receiver. So their season um, is, put it this way. I don't feel that the Giants, as currently constructed, what's their offseason look like, I don't know, right. are a playoff team. That's not going out on the limb by saying that. And if they're not a playoff team again, does uh, Brian D'Abel get fired?
3: By the way, I'm so surprised that Mike Rabel didn't get a coaching job this cycle. I just, To me, that guy makes way too much sense as a football coach.
2: Yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised by that as well. <sighs> the, what was the one reasoning that he was too big? Didn't somebody give that reason that his stature was too big and he's like um, oh, intimidating?
3: Too, right, that he you know he was he's a guy that you know basically walks in and demands.
2: Well, that, that the front office guys are Don't intimidated to by his stature. Right. Yeah, that was one of the reports that I guess with uh, Diana Rossini reported that's one of the front office a front office person told her one of the reasons why he didn't get a job is because he was too big.
3: Yeah, which is a ridiculous reason. Of course it is. But I guess that's where, you these guys and their egos come in. Yeah. By the
2: way, I was thinking of Pat Sabatini when you mentioned oh. Chris Weidman.
3: Yeah, I Pat have
2: Sabatini. called a Pat Sabatini fight. Gotcha. Not Chris Weidman. I don't know why I had those two. Are they even in the same weight class? I don't think so. Isn't Sabatini...
3: I kind of remember. Is he a welterweight?
2: I, I mean, he was a, a featherweight when I called his fight. I don't know what he is now. But, I mean, you're going back to... I don't even remember when I called a Pat Sabatini fight. I, I just mean, pulled that one out, Pat Sabatini. They, Randomly, these things pop into my head.
3: And you just don't know why they pop into Well,
2: me I the mean, thing. before we talked about Chris Weidman, and I said, oh, I think I called his fight. And then I'm like, wait, I didn't call one of his fights. He's never fought in CFFC. But I did call a Pat Sabatini fight.
3: Pat Sabatini lost fought, last fought in the UFC in November of 2023. Let's see. When the last time he was in CFFC F- F- was 2020.
2: 2020. So Yeah, I think I called... I might have called two of his fights. I might have called his fight in... He made in, his
3: debut, actually, in the CFFC F- F- in 2014.
2: I think I might have called his fight in uh, 2018 and 2019.
3: 2018, he fought uh, Damone Blackshear. Does mm-hmm. that sound familiar? I'm pretty
2: sure I called that fight.
3: Yeah, and then he fought... I think Fabricio that was
2: that, Oliveira. I think I called both those fights. One go. was at Borgata. The other one was at Hard Rock.
3: That is correct, sir. He was the CFFC
2: featherweight champion of the world. The, the one at Borgata was was 71, I believe, is the first time I had ever called a mixed martial arts fight. If I went back and listened to that, I'd probably get a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So back to what Cohen was saying. So we were talking about the potential of these openings being open. You mentioned how Cohen was talking about guys being on the hot seat this morning. This is what also he told you an hour ago about Sirianni, McCarthy, and McDermott futures.
8: Philadelphia, if they don't have a big run, could move on from Sirianni. Dallas for Mike McCarthy, former Eagles assistant, Sean McDermott, with the Bills, if they don't have a big run. They can move on from them. Okay, so those are three jobs that I would look at and say none of those coaches have done a bad job. They just haven't done a great enough job. And two of the three, in McDermott and McCarthy, I think could be hired the next day. I think the reputation around Sirianni is weird, as it you is. know better than I do. I don't know that he's hired the next day, but he's done. You can't say he's done a bad job.
2: Yeah, the Sirianni. I've said the same thing. Is I think one of the things with Sirianni is. Because people talked about when Peterson got told, you need to do this, and Peterson said no, and then he left. Peterson had the ability in his mind to say, I know I'm going to get another job. I'm not sure Sirianni thinks, if I get fired, am I getting another job? Am I ever going to be a head coach again? And I know that sounds crazy to say. The guys won a ton of games. He went to a Super Bowl. But as Evan Cohen pointed out there, there is like this uncertainty around Nick Sirianni, this will be a big year for him to see what kind of bounce back they get from where they were to what happened to him, and then what happens.
3: Do you think that whatever Sirianni's time is done in Philadelphia, do you think he's the kind of guy that might have to go in the television for a bit before he gets on a head coaching job? Uh
2: head coaching job? Well, he, I. It's funny. I don't know that I see Sirianni as a television guy either.
3: Well, I don't know if he is, but I mean, a lot of guys have gone the television route. Yeah, but they are case. really
2: high-profile guys, generally. Generally. Yeah, I mean, Nick Sirianni, that's another thing. Like, I don't look at him as this high-profile guy that the networks are going to be like, let's get Nick Sirianni. I mean, you might get him on, like, a CBS Sports HQ uh, like a lower level thing, but I don't see that he's like, hey, NBC, Maybe I don't know. Sirianni's such a tough guy to, like, put your finger on. Like, what – how is he perceived around the league in all these circles? Like, hey, we got this guy who went to the Super Bowl. He won a lot of games. Do we want him – I don't know. I mean, he wouldn't get hired, you wouldn't think, as a coordinator. He doesn't call the plays. Right. So, like – He seems like he's at a crossroads if this season doesn't go very well. Could he go back to being a receivers coach? You know, Britton Covey was on with us the other day, and he was telling us about how detailed Sirianni is as a wide receivers coach. Do you go from head coach to wide receiver coach, though? That's a big fall. He's in a very weird spot as a head coach who got that job very early, doesn't call plays. And now at a very young age, is it kind of the crossroads of his career?
3: You know, a guy like Sirianni as well, you look at some of the guys who are on television who have been coaches, a lot of them have never won a championship at this point. Rex
2: Ryan, Jason Garrett. It's not well, like you, Rex Ryan, very high profile.
3: Right. But he didn't all he got to was an AFC championship. No, but game.
2: again, very high profile, big name. Dad was a Big sure. name. A family of, of football people. Charismatic. Jason Garrett, no championships, but Dallas head coach. That okay. gives you that whole, you know, oh, you were the Cowboys guy. So he's got that going for him. Who else you got?
3: I was trying to think of guys who have not won a championship. Because to me, if you win a championship, it kind of lends you way more cachet than not. Yeah, you like know, Bill Cowher
2: won the championship. Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy won a championship.
3: Brian Billow was on the network for years. Uh, now, Steve Mariucci never won a championship.
2: No, but those 49er teams he took over were very high profile. Mm-hmm. Like, he got to the Niners right after their...
3: Right place, right time.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was, like, right there at the end of their championships and just never won. And then he went to Detroit and, and, and kind of fizzled out. Oh, but he it was out, yeah. pretty high profile with those 49er teams. The 49er, back when the 49ers were, like, a very high profile, like, they kind of lost their profile... For a while there, and then they kind of got it back with Harbaugh and you know they they dipped off after Harball. Then they've, they've kind of come back here recently.
3: I'm just thinking of Sirianni in terms of like he's got that kind of personality, you know, he's got that like you know very emotional, out outgoing kind of guy. I'm just wondering if you know if if he if he had to do it, you know, I, I could see
2: him doing it. Yeah, I don't say that he that he wouldn't be a guy who could do it. I'm just wondering if he would be in high demand. That's all. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. I'm. I don't know what to think about him in terms of what his feeling is around the league.
3: Well, is like, that an in indictment of itself? Is that even Evan Cohen said to you? He said, "You, you know, Mike. I don't know what it's like for you guys over there, but you know, Sirianni's perception. Nobody knows the fact that nobody can put their finger on the fact that anybody knows what because is.
2: this season was never duplicated in the past. It is a season that we have never seen before. A team that went to the Super Bowl, was 10-1, and and then fell completely apart. That is why it is so – there's no parallel to what just happened to this team, and that's why the Sirianni thing is so confounding. Here's a guy who won all these games, went to the Super Bowl, got off to a 10-1 and start, and then fell apart. We've never seen it happen before, and that's why I think it is so hard to decide what Nick Sirianni is and how – I don't say important he is. I mean, you heard what um, uh, Kelsey said, what Britton Covey said, what others have said. Shane Steichen has said. I mean, you can't really find too many people who have. I don't. I don't remember anybody basically coming out and ripping the guy. Right.
3: Everyone seems to like him. Everyone seems to support him. Mike, before we get hit the break, I want to get this. Uh, so, Adam Silver was on the Pat McAfee show, and one of the topics that came up was about the expansion of the NBA and the. Las Vegas has been a team that has been in conversation. And for those who don't know, LeBron James has been one of the people who has said, I would like to own a team in Las Vegas. So Adam Silver on the potential of Vegas as an NBA expansion city.
8: I feel like we already have a big presence in Vegas. I think in terms of expansion to Vegas, what we've said for a while now is we have one more year left on our television deals in the U.S. after this year. And so we want to figure out what our media relationships are going to look like. But then we will turn to expansion. And Vegas is definitely on our list. What's what's remarkable about Las Vegas... It's not that large a market. That's I mean, small. as the U.S. goes, I mean, I forget. It's like last I looked, I think it was the 44th largest market or something
1: like that. Wow. But man, do they punch above their weight.
2: Yeah. Um, so me getting to go to Vegas for the first time, got a chance to see that firsthand. Like before I was always like, you know, Vegas is not a very big market. How could they sustain this? And you can see now I wonder with Vegas, they have the hockey team. And the hockey team hit right away. Like, they were never bad. Most times you get an expansion team and the team stinks and people are like, okay, this was a novelty and now it's gone. The team stinks. They've been good from the first puck drop. So that town has become a hockey town because of that. Now you have the Raiders. I'm not sure how... They could support multiple teams out there. That's been my question. Can that town support multiple teams? Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure you could put an NBA team and a NHL team and a hockey team. I mean, and an NFL team. And then they've been talking about a baseball team that seemingly is getting knicks now, which, right. uh, David Sampson was on our show and said that that was not going to happen even when they said it was going to happen. He said it wasn't going to happen. It doesn't look like it's going to happen now. I just don't know if they have the year-round population that could handle three or four major professional teams.
3: Right, because the thing with football is that you only have basically eight home games a year.
2: So Yeah, but they're the Raiders. People will travel to Vegas to see the Raiders. You know, they were in L.A., so they got L.A. fans. They were in Oakland, so they got Oakland fans. So you do have, and that's a close enough flight that you can get an influx of visitors that will go there. And it is the NFL, so it's only once every, you know. um, Well, I'll say my thing is it's a shorter season. Yeah. So, like, basketball. But you put basketball there every single night plus the hockey team. That's a hard ask.
3: It is a hard ask, but Commissioner Stolber says they're at least considering it.
2: Sports Fast Live, ninety seven, which they should, by the way. I Vegas won me over. I had a great time. I thought if it was— If you had
3: to pick between Vegas and Seattle, who should get it?
2: Well, that's a tough one. Seattle's a great—another great sports town. And they've been there, though. But— They used to have a superstar. They did. Kevin Durant actually played in Seattle. That's correct. Um, Come on. I, I, I agree with what he said though. We have a presence in Vegas. They played the in-season tournament there. You could do offshoots in Vegas. You don't need a team there. So I would say Seattle. All right. And I think that would be a smart thing for the NBA. We don't need to put a team in Vegas. We could do offshoot stuff there. We could do the in-season tournament there, the draft there. I mean, the all-star game should be there. The all-star NBA. game, I said, should be there almost every year. That kind of stuff. All right, more Sports Pass, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. i to tell you about my friend Rocco over at uh, Key uh, Acura of Atlantic City. You know, they got a deal going right now through February 29th. He can get you in a 2024 Acura Integra lease for just $369 a month. Can you imagine during the COVID 2020, 2021 saying, I'm going to pay $369 for my car payment, brand new car, 2024? You'd be out of your mind. Well, he can get you in that right now or a 2024 MDX lease for 489 a month. Beginning March 2nd, the service department, they're going to be open on Saturdays again. So you don't have to do it before you go to work. Have somebody pick you up. You can do it on a Saturday. Stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City on Tilton Road in Egg Harbor Township. It's the small but friendly dealer online at KeyAcura of Atlantic The sports.
0: Mike Gill. And I am the voice of
3: the voiceless.
0: On 97.3 ESPN
2: and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 454 on a Sports Bash Thursday. Did you watch the uh, You Are Looking Live uh, Sunday? I did not get to see that. They're re-airing it tomorrow at 6 on uh, CBS Sports Network. Okay, I can DVR it. Yes, yeah, 6 o'clock tomorrow, CBS Sports Network. It was uh, for those of you out there who didn't see it. It was the whole story of like the uh, uh, CBS pregame show with like Brent Musburger, Jimmy the Greek, uh, the whole original basically cast that started these NFL pregame shows. I thought it was really, really, really well done. Well, I at the DVR that. Six o'clock tomorrow, CBS Sports Network. Check that out. Uh Sports Bash. Want to did you remind see you guys. while
3: you're out there in Vegas? Or I did
2: not see Musburger. Uh, Flyers fans, it's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Philadelphia Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers with the best tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. Flyers tonight right here on 97.3 ESPN. They're taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Flyers have won four in a row. They named Sean Couturier their 20th captain in team history today. But when we come back, we're going to flip it over to the Sixers' Deflating loss last night. So who are the Sixers at the deadline? We'll ask our Sixers insider, Austin Krell, as he joins us on the other side, plus the big three tonight at 5.30. That's all coming up next hour on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN.
1: Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now
2: live, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after five Sixers at the All-Star break, kind of a disheartening loss last night. You're like, you got this brutal stretch of games coming up with four straight against the top four teams in the East. I'm at home. Can I find a way to win a game when Miami's down a couple key guys as well? I know, no Embiid, no Harris. But it just felt like that game was there last night. And I don't know if that's a sign of things to come. Austin Crell covers the Sixers for 973 ESBN.com. Sixers at the break. We'll look at his likes, dislikes, and what's next for this team. They're going to get Kyle Lowry. Will they get Joel Embiid? We'll get his opinion on that. And more as the Sixers hit the All-Star break. Ten games over five hundred. Uh, and closer to the play-in game than uh, they are to the two-seed right now, which uh, is kind of disheartening. But a uh, tough game last night, a lot of things in that game. You wonder if there's a signal of things to come. What's going on, Austin Krell? How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? All is well. Uh, you wrote about it at 97.3 com. The Sixers had no answers for the heat zone last night. And, you know, that's something that we used to hear a lot about, you know, the Doc teams, the Brett Brown teams. And you were watching that game last night. When you wrote that article, I was kind of intrigued to talk to you today about what you saw in that game last night that maybe concerned you a bit. So,
7: like, I think the the, the crux of it is, you have your your rotation is comprised of like Ricky Council, Paul Reed, KJ Martin, uh, other guys like that, Kelly Oubre, who are either non shooters or who are at best inconsistent streaky shooters. And when you put those guys in your rotation, you're begging for a team to go zone for extended stretches because the best, the easiest way to beat a zone is to just get really hot from three. And if you don't have like dynamic guys, you can slide up the soft spot in the zone by the elbows, by the free throw line. It's harder to attack that zone. And uh, you know Paul Reed is the is like the acting big man, but he is not a dynamic passer. He is not a dynamic playmaker or attacker or creator for himself or others at this stage of his career. So once they couldn't really get much action inside once they you know started once the threes were not falling the offense really stalled out uh, and it was like the biggest problem you know like there, there there there's ball movement anyone can pass the ball around the floor but there's also productive ball movement and productive player movement and the Sixers, you know I asked Nick Nurse about this after the game and I you know it, it, it felt to me like the biggest problem was yes they were getting movement on the court between buddy between Tyrese and everybody they were they, they were they were slinging the ball around the floor. Everyone was moving to different spots. But they weren't actually making productive movement with the ball. There was nothing inside. There was very little attempt to actually attack the rim, get downhill into the teeth of the defense, attack and probe early when they're in transition still and not all the way back and aligned. So I thought they kind of... They really struggled with creating and generating offense out of the zone. Once uh, Max, he left the game with the ankle injury, he did come back, but they were in a good flow before he left, and then you know they they sputtered when he left, and then they couldn't really rediscover it when he got back. But like I, I thought, like, the most telltale sign of like the whole the whole summary of the game was opening play of the third quarter. Tyrese drives downhill, gets to the rim, seemingly has a layup. Uh, Adebayo is there to confront him. He dumps it off to K.J. Martin in the short corner, which is fine. You know, If K.J. can, 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 can get that one-two step, go and dump that, great. Except he then turns around and throws it to Kelly Oubre in the corner for a contested three. So the play devolved from a layup to a contested corner three in a matter of a second. And it was like, a, wow, they, 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 gener- they genuinely are just kind of bitten by this the zone they don't really know where to go from here Hmm. Uh, and the more miami hung around that was kind of the problem and then the shots stopped falling and miami seized control
2: yeah so i I guess um this team at the Ulster break we know no joel and that changes the complexion of everything but the hope was hey they made these moves hopefully they can stay afloat Uh, before we get to the team itself where are you in your opinion on joel returning this year do you think that's not happening possibility. Uh, where do you feel about that? Let, let's get that out of the way first.
7: I think it's, uh, I would say it's probably pretty likely that he comes back. I, I can't put an exact number on it because any number I put on it will seem too low or too high. Uh, I would say, I would say I would bet on him returning this season. My The, the, the thing that we're not going to know for a while is, will he return in time for them to reach a seed where their path to getting to the conference finals is re- is legit and if he returns can he like retain 85 90 95 100 of himself if he can't be close to his normal self i don't really know what we're talking about here in terms of a productive return um but if he can find himself in short order and get reacclimated. I think that opens up a whole world of possibilities where it doesn't really matter whether you're the 7th seed or the 4th seed. Yeah, that's interesting because, um, you know,
2: this team, all right, so then let's get into where you think they could be, you know, because I, I said before, the, the problem for me with Joel returning late in the year, man, they got a brutal road schedule. I mean, they're traveling like four, then they're home for one random game and then back on the road again. If you're just coming back, that's a lot of traveling and in and out, but – I mean, do you think – Do you, when you say he returns, does that mean to play like three games, ten games, no games, and he just comes back for the playoffs? How, how do you kind of see that potentially?
7: I think it will largely be up to Joel's response to rehab and reconditioning. Um, it will depend on how close they are to playing for a more favorable playoff matchup or even home court advantage. If they are, if it's a scenario where they're pretty much locked into a 6-7 seed, whatever, and, you know, there's not much upper potential or lower potential, they might just say, let's let, let's keep him out to the playoffs and he'll, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make his return then. Um, I think ideally you would want him to get back on the court in the regular season as quickly as possible, even if... Um, you know, even if you don't have a lot of mobility in the standings, because you want him to get as many reps against the worst, te- the worst teams as he can and get in shape before he has to play high leverage minutes against, uh, in, you know, in playoff series. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tend to think that as long as they can cobble some things together here and, you know, get, to, and, and sort of find a way to steal, you know, Eight to ten games of this next 23. I, you know, I I, I I think they're very much alive still. All
2: right. Austin Krell, 97.3, ESPN.com, at Krell NBA on X. Uh, all right. So let's take a look at where this team is without Joel. Do you look at this team and say, yes, they can stay a aflo- full? They got four brutal games coming out of the All Star break, which could really flip their spot in the standings. But do you look at this team and say, they have enough? to keep them in play for a top-four seat and then hope to get Joel to kind of push them over the top?
7: So, yeah, I mean, I think if they can get healthy, if you can get Batum, Tobias, Lowry, uh, you know, uh, Melton in here, I think you generally have enough mix of talent and depth and size, most importantly, to cobble together a stretch where you can win some games. I mean... You know, I I think the the wild card here is like you get into March, and we're all great. We're grading these matchups on paper. Like, oh my God, they have Clippers, they they have the Lakers, they have you know these obscene road trips. Whatever. Once teams hit March, it's sort of like you don't know who is really still motivated by the regular season. You don't know who will be kept out of games for you know load management purposes, or who will be injured or not for these different teams. So the teams that we think. Look really difficult right now. May not actually be at their tip-top best when it comes time for these for these games. I, having said that, like this, this I mean I I, I agree with you. It was a it, it was it, to me it was as close to a must win as you can last night. And I'm not a big regular season must win guy, mm-hmm. but that was like a game where you are. The Heat are shorthanded as it is. They're, coming, they're in the second line of a, of a back-to-back. Um, you have in 30, in about you know 72 hours after the break is over, you have a back-to-back with the Knicks and Cavaliers, and then Dallas at one o'clock on a Sunday. So you are going to have a really quick turnaround against three teams that are that, that, that are out better than you right now. So there's a chance that they are they're they're in the middle of a four-game losing streak again before they even know it. But having said that. I think they do have the pieces where they can stay afloat for sure.
2: All right. So let's look at some of these pieces. Give me your thoughts on what healed and how he's fit in. And then how, you know, like, some people are looking at healed, like, oh my God, how did Indiana just give him away? You know, why is he kind of flourishing here? And, you know, Indiana was like, you can have him for a couple second rounders.
7: Well, I think, like, and we kind of, I kind of probed him about this last night in his press conference. They talked to us. It seems to me. And this was reported on like that he was not happy with his contract situation there and he wanted to trade. It seems to me that Indiana kind of restricted him in, what, in terms of what his role was, and he felt like he had more to give. And so in Indiana knew they weren't going to be able to pay him in free agency, so they figured let him go and get something for him. They got three seconds back for him. So, yeah, it was a good value find. Um, I, I think he's been tremendous. He brought shooting volume. He's gotten, like, eight, nine, ten threes up every game he's been here uh, thus far. Um, his defense has been very, very, very hit or miss. Like, he commits a lot of silly fouls for a 31-year-old veteran. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, some of the playmaking he's showing off the dribble, Cleveland game, you know, he and Paul Reed had a really nice dynamic going where, you know, Paul is screening for him. He's taking one, two, three dribbles. Boom, pocket pass, Paul's on the move, layup. I yeah, think the, that, that, that the secondary ball handling is really, really important, not just for this team, for any team. You know, all the contenders out there, they have guys who you can swing the ball to who can either pump fake and go, or uh, if, if, if the shot isn't there, then they can swing that into, a, okay, let's run a, a quick pick and roll here. You're not asking them to dominate possessions as a handler like you would Kyrie or Luca. But he can absolutely dribble the traffic a little bit and navigate that. And I think that makes Tyrese Maxey's life easier. That makes their whole playbook a little bit easier to get into. Um, But, like, you know, as much as star power is great and as much as Joel is so huge and necessary for this team, obviously, you know, there's something to be said for, like, look at at who they're missing. They're missing Tobias, who has been one of their most relied upon individual defenders. Anthony Melton, who's who's a very good team defender. Same thing for Nico Batum, even though he, he, he's, he looks a little older as a defender this season. You know, if you if you can, as a unit, focus on how do we pressure the perimeter and how do we really create and impact the ball, uh, you know, you can really cause teams to make mistakes, and then you're just getting out on the run. You're the fastest guy on the court. So it is an inconceivable, in fact, we've seen it before, how, you know, this team with, with these pieces can cobble together good defensive moments with good offense and string together wins where you didn't think it was probable.
2: Yeah, and you look at uh, – all right, so there's a couple other things we want to get into. that The heel thing, you know, obviously it's given them a guy who can score and put the ball on the floor, which is something they've kind of lacked there. The other day uh, we were talking about Oubre. And, you know, we're talking about when they are healthy. If, if Joel's back and they're fully healthy – how deep does the team go? Because it was suggested that Ubre might be the odd man out of the playoff rotation. Would you? Would
7: you uh, see? Can you see that? No, I think I, I think you would ride with him because you've already played. He's been such a heavy, a big part of your rotation in in the regular season that you taking him out would do more harm to your overall team than it would to like just him. You know, like you're if you're taking a big piece of your of your team out guys are going to not be used to that. So I think that has a backfire potential. I do think that, that that he is a guy who is such a wild card at times with both his production and his decision-making, that he might be a guy whose who's minutes you cut back, uh, but to say he would be removed from the rotation entirely, I think, would be pretty, pretty surprising. Uh,
2: what is your take on when the team is healthy? Is Ricky Council a guy who is finding a way into a – role or is this just a quick like hey we need somebody and he's taking advantage of this opportunity
7: So yeah uh, I was asked that was asked last night of Nick Nurse and Nick Nurse said you know like this has created an opportunity for KJ to get more minutes for Ricky to get more minutes you know Ricky the thing about him that I think is so interesting is we don't really know much about him cuz we haven't seen him much but he plays the game as an undrafted free agent rookie as someone who has no fear he makes those two free throws other night in Cleveland. Huge pressure free throws, makes them both. You know, last night he is bouncing around the zone like you know, like, like, a, like a like one of those uh, pinball machines. And you know, he and he, he's making plays off the dribble, leaving dump off passes to the bigs, the dunker spot. He has a really intuitive feel for the game that I think any team could use. Now, will 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 his minutes be there in the playoffs? Uh, I would probably if I had to bet I would say, I would say no if they are there at the third of the playoffs that the question then became is he the one out uh, is he out of the rotation by the, by the second or third round of the playoffs? Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, he's interesting, you know, just because he gives him you know, a little
2: energy and just scores in a variety of ways. And then Payne, I mean, I don't know what do you think of him. Um, you know, is he a guy that has a role on this team, playoff roster? Uh, obviously, he's going to have to play right now with some of the injuries that are going on. But what happens with him and Lowry and – and melton and you know you got a lot of guys that are that are backcourt players there that's where i find it to be kind of interesting what happens when this team gets kind of fully healthy
7: so i think his job is about to get pretty difficult because i think i would if i had to bet i would say that he's out of the rotation probably after the all-star break um and what that means is kyle lowry is obviously there um if Melton is healthy, does that mean that he is starting and Lowry's a backup point guard? If not, then is Kyle the back, is Kyle the, and Maxie the backcourt? And if Melton, if his availability on any given night is, is in question, that means that Cam is sliding into the rotation. So I, 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 view him largely as a regular season minutes eater. Um, you know, I just think he's too small for the playoffs. at shot, is it, it, as it effective as it, it, as it has been this season I have concerns because he he's so small and the release point is so so low and it takes him a long time to get into that shot that like you're seeing him go like he catches the ball and, and, the, and he and it's against a, a shifted defense. his shot quality just from the, the point of catching to shooting goes down because it takes him so long to get to the top. And so defenses have time to close out on him. So I, I would have concerns about his playability uh in the playoffs. But I think right now, like he's gonna be a piece who you're gonna you know, you might go some nights without seeing, but if the is out for a game or if Lowry is out for a game, he's gonna be asked to step right up and play back up minutes, if not starting minutes.
2: All right, Austin, if Joel's healthy, what would Austin Krell's starting five look like?
7: I would say it's gonna be uh, if it's if it's just Joel or if everybody's healthy. If, if the whole team, Joel's
2: back, he's a part of this, but they're they're at full health, they're ready, playoffs
7: game one, Austin Krell, your starting five. Tyrese, buddy, uh, Batum, Tobias, and Joel. And if you could guarantee me full health, I would, pick, I would pick that team to get to the Conference Finals. Oh, wow. So, all right, Maxi healed
2: Batum, Harris, Joel. And then I guess you got Lowry is going to be, you know, I guess like the sixth man maybe. Oubre would be kind of in those like what, Harris? Well, that's where like Oubre, Lowry, Reed, you know, is going to have to play because he's obviously the backup five. Melton Melton's in that mix, right so you got now you're eight deep. Do you
7: cut it off there? I would probably I think most teams would probably cut it off eight nine deep. I mean you know Denver wins, wins the title last year and like it was because their starting five was so good. their bench like they were they were desperately dying to cobble together like goodness out of their bench rotation It's, it's, all, it's, it's all about how you can finagle the matchups and and and, and get those bench players in the positions where they're playing, you know, uh, advantageous minutes. Yeah. Like, you're not going to see full bench lineups, but um, I think I think you're probably looking at a team that goes eight, maybe nine deep. All right, there you go. Uh, Sixers tonight, uh, excuse me, uh, at the All-Star
2: break last night. They lose to the Heat. They're off now till Thursday. They'll play the Knicks, Cavs, Bucks, Celtics. Brutal schedule for the first four out of the break. And then, uh, the calendar flips over to March. So we will be with a month and a half left to go in the season. Austin Krell at Krell NBA. Has a couple of days off for the Sixers here as they have the All-Star break. Austin, thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, Austin Krell, you can, of course, read all of his coverage. He's done a great job this year covering the Sixers over at 97.3 ESPN.com. And, of course, uh, as the season kind of kicks into that final stretch run, you'll hear more from Austin and Paul and Devon Givens, and we'll do more Sixers and uh, Keith Pompei because, look, if they get Joel back, you just heard what he said, Austin Krell. There's your clip. There's your bite. If they're fully healthy with Joel, Maxie, Buddy Healed, Nick Batum, Tobias Harris, he said that team's going to the conference finals. That's why you still have to kind of have some intrigue by this team because of the carrot that is dangled of Joel possibly coming back and then what they did at the all-star break, uh, at the trade deadline, I should say. That Buddy Healed gives you a... Buddy Heal could be a secondary scorer on some night. Like, you have Joel when he's back. He'll be your first guy. Then you have Maxie. Now you have Buddy who's, like, a legitimate, like, third scorer. So, he adds some intrigue to all this. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Flyers fans, don't forget Flyers tonight on 97.3 ESPN. It's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer up, uh, uh cheer on the Flyers with the best tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab Union Forge bottle today. All right, we'll come back to big three. That's next. This is the sports special on 97.3
5: ESPN. We have the
1: sitting in traffic you come with me this sports bash with mike gill on 97.3 espn and the 97.3 espn free mobile app
7: it's not a scapegoat when your superstar players on defense do not believe in what you're doing and that as you have heard over the last few weeks quietly at least you know we've we've heard different things about that and then you read about it you got guys like Fred Warner and Nick Bosa who were kind of done. They, they really didn't believe what was going
2: on. Was Steve Wilkes the boogeyman in San Fran? Was he the scapegoat out there? That was Chris Carl today on Carlin versus Joe. It's time for the big three. Josh Henning, what do we got today? Steve Wilkes,
3: because this story from The Athletic came out late last night, and It's very eye-opening. They were talking about on Carlin versus Jote on 97.3 ESPN. This firing, to some people may be called a bad look by some people, but it really sounds like, based on the reporting out of San Francisco, Steve Wilkes, Mike, should have never been the coordinator. So according to this article from The Athletic... That's interesting. Wilkes had a massive disconnect with the star players on the 49ers. They never were able to really connect with him.
2: Sounds like the Eagles situation.
3: Oh, but there's more. So, first of all, apparently Wilkes never wanted to call the games from the sideline. But he was instructed as the 49ers DC, he had to. He also is not a natural fit for this style of defense. So he had to customize his own play calling to what the 49ers wanted. The 49ers, according to this athletic article... They hired him because they wanted a veteran presence for the team. But his personality never fit. And according to this article, because his background was so heavy as a defensive backs coach for Wilkes, that he connected more with the D-backs than with the defensive line, to which led to guys like Nick Bosa and Fred Warner complain about
2: it. This sounds convenient that it's all coming out now, I mean, honestly. I mean, it sounds a lot like what happened with the Eagles, like, hey, things weren't going well, well, you know, the agent comes out and says, well, there are a lot of people that didn't even talk to Desai, there was disconnects there, then you put Patricia in, he's calling a defense that he wasn't even his. I mean, it's, they made it to the Super Bowl, and by the way, there are people that are like, It's not like the 49ers defense let them down in the Super Bowl. They held, you know, Pat Mahomes to under 20 points going into overtime. So this all sounds pretty convenient. And I would imagine that this goes on in more situations than not where, like, hey, my background is in defensive backs. So the defensive back coach, uh, uh, defensive back, um, defensive backs have a better relationship than, say, the pass rushers do.
3: The article also goes on to say that maybe the 49ers shouldn't have hired Steve Wilkes if they knew that he might not have been a good fit in the first place. And they could have avoided this embarrassing look.
2: Yeah, I mean, they lost D'Amico Ryans, went to Houston to be the head coach. So they had to replace him. So they went outside the organization. Steve Wilkes, by the way, was the head coach in Carolina. Some people thought he got a raw deal. Mm -hmm. He was the head coach well, he was in, the interim head coach right, in Carolina. But he's in head Carolina. coach with Arizona. Arizona. Head coach in Arizona.
3: He got as a real, super so raw deal
2: there. He was a two-time head coach. So he, had, but both times he got like, oh, People thought he got a raw deal, even as the interim in Carolina. People thought maybe they should have retained him.
3: Right, because they played well for him.
2: Right. So it's not like they brought some guy in who had some you know willy nilly resume and they were taking a like a swing on. I mean, this guy has a pretty solid resume. So much so that he got uh, a head coaching opportunity.
3: It is suggested by Tim Kawakami of The Athletic that the 49ers, because now they will be bringing in their fourth different defensive coordinator in the last few years, that this could be the thing that dooms Kyle Shanahan.
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, this is an interesting one with him and his future. If they, I, I, I think, like, do they get back to an NFC championship game and lose, and if he and his game management or lack of attention to detail is the reason. But, again, (laughs) you can't watch the defense of the San Francisco 49ers and say, oh my god, they were terrible. I mean... That's That's why the whole thing is bizarre. It seems like uh, there was definitely more to the story, and if there was a disconnect of personalities... Well, you remember what... uh, We had Radio Row, Mike Lombardi, when he asked who runs the 49ers, and I said, John Lynch, he said, no, Kyle Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan. Right. So if he's making these decisions and then gets it wrong again, then possible. Their defense this year, by the way, gave up 298 points. That was best in the entire NFC. In fact, they're the only NFC team that gave up less than 300 points this season.
3: Maybe they need more disconnect. Maybe maybe there needs to be more of yeah, this. This because...
2: <laughs> story just sounds like we've got to come up with some reason that he got fired.
3: Uh Speaking of coaches, for story number two, this might have gone under some people's radars, but the Eagles lost a coach. Roy Istavan is the top assistant for Jeff Stoutland for years. He is taking the same assistant offensive line gig with the Browns joining Deuce Stanley over there in Cleveland, Mike.
2: Never heard this guy's name ever in my life. I got to be honest with you. When I saw this story today, I was kind of surprised. Number, I was surprised at two things, that I had never heard of the guy. Never heard his name once. Like when his name got I was like, oh, that guy. Nope, never heard of him. Never heard that the Eagles had an assistant offensive line coach. In fact, the last guy that I thought was had that role was Eugene Chung, the former uh, New England Patriot offensive lineman. I think he was maybe in that role. But I was pretty shocked to hear the guy's name, number one. And number two, I'd always wondered, all right, Stoutland's been here. If you want to try to, like, everyone comes to the Eagles and poaches front office guys. Everyone comes to the Eagles and poaches coaches. Why wouldn't you poach the guy who worked for Stoutland? What took so long? Who, where did he go? Cleveland. All right, Cleveland makes some sense. They have a lot of Eagles connections.
3: Well, that's what I was going to say. So the Eagles connections they have right now, so they got Istvan. he is joining Deuce Staley, Jim Schwartz is there, as you know. And Andrew Barry is in the front office.
2: Right, say the front office is where they have the connections um, to the Eagles to go say, all right, I know a guy. I got a guy. Let me go get my guy over in Philadelphia. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. I'd never heard of this guy before, ever. How long has he been with Philly?
3: He has been with Philly since Doug Peterson.
2: So he's been there a while,
3: huh? Yeah, and apparently 30 years ago, Jeff Stoutland coached him.
2: Okay, that's don't how this th- these things happen, but
3: so he's got a long connection with Stoutland, but apparently he wants to uh, go elsewhere.
2: Even though Stoutland has well, apparently he wants to go elsewhere, he got the, well, yeah. he got the, he got promoted. Meanwhile,
3: well, it's kind of a lateral job because he's not being the head man running the O line in Cleveland. He's still an assistant coach hmm. for the O
2: line. Oh, now that's that's something. Why would he? Do, why would he leave? Maybe because he feels like they're pat. I don't know. I mean, how long is Stoutland going to be there? Unless well, he feels like, hey, this guy ain't ever leaving.
3: Right. I'm not going to wait till this guy dies <laughs> you know, before I get a job. Right. I'm going to go somewhere else and see if I can break out of the, his shadow, right? Kind of like Eric Biennemi did with the Chiefs.
2: Seems like the play there.
3: Mike, I wanted to ask you about, so
6: <laughs>
3: this story to me is funny. So there's gonna be an all-star game, alternate broadcast. And we know in the world we have manning casts and everything, and I'm starting to wonder if we're just, you know, copying everybody, because Charles Barkley and Draymond Green will be a part of the alternate cast on True TV for All-Star Saturday night. And I wanna ask you, Mike, first of all, one, do would you ever be interested in a Draymond Green, Charles Barkley alternate cast? That's number
2: one. Um, I'm kind of like over the alternate cast stuff. Like, I didn't watch the Manning cast the last two seasons. I did not watch one second of Manning cast. Not this year and not last year. Like, ever since Buck and Aikman took over, I have not watched any Manning cast. And I like the Manning cast. I think they did a nice job with the Manning cast. But it's just tough to sit there and watch that type of programming for a whole game. But if you're going to give me two guys kind of say, hey, they're watching the game with you. Yeah, Barkley and, and Draymond Green would be uh, two guys, I think.
3: Does it be in the All-Star game maybe be a little different that it's not like a regular game?
2: That's a possibility, yes. That being said, we're Evan Cohen brought this up, and we've talked about it before. I'm surprised that other networks have not done what ESPN has done, you know, have that alternate broadcast on, like, if there's a Fox game, NFS1 has the alternate broadcast. CBS, right. CBS Sports Network has an alternate broadcast. You know, that Amazon Prime doesn't have some sort of... They Actually, I think Amazon Prime has something, don't they?
3: They do. They have alternate feed. That's correct. With like a bunch of former players just kind of hanging around a room.
2: Right. So when is it when, like, NBC... They don't have NBC Sports Network anymore, but yeah. they, they can Peacock. find a channel. We're on Peacock, yes. That someone would... Now, the problem is the Kelseys are both playing. That the Kelsey brothers would be the next two to get like the Manning cast, the Kelsey cast. Right. That would be the next one, yes. But the NBA All Star game, like I have no interest in the game, so yeah, maybe I just yeah, let's see what Barkley and, and, and Green are, are pontificating about.
3: By the way, the alternate cast on Saturday for the the uh all the skills competitions we one shooting, that group is going to be Vince Carter, Carmelo Anthony, hosted by Adam Lefko with Jason Tatum. That's given the alternate, coast, alternate cast on Saturday night for those who might be interested. My second question I want to ask you from this, mic is because they asked in the Athletic article, I kind of wanted to rephrase it to you. Is there a duo or a sport that you would be more interested in watching if they had these people for an alternate cast? Like, for example, like... Maybe, you know, you're not, you know, like, for you you're not a hockey guy, right? Or like, you're not like a diehard, like, tennis guy, or like, you know, some other sport, like maybe UFC or something. Like, is there maybe like a person or persons that you said, hey, if they put those people on an alternate cast, I'd be more interested?
2: Huh. Um, well, they tried with baseball with the A-Ride thing with Michael K. That one doesn't really, uh, do much for me. No. I'm Trying to think as they're, couple of guys you know baseball is one where there's a lot of time although the, the clock is you know but you would like to see like two colorful like smart baseball guys talk about like oh what do you think they you know like talking strategy as the game is going on I think that would be the most appealing to me
3: like for example I know that you know Tito Ortiz does a lot of the Fox games what if he was on an alternate telecast would that intrigue you at all Someone like him?
2: Tito Ortiz, the UFC fighter? I'm sorry,
3: David Ortiz.
2: (laughs) I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Um, David Ortiz. Yeah, I mean, just like two guys who were just kind of sitting there watching the game, but like... Kind of watching like I do with my buddy, like, you know, oh, you got to go curveball here. Got to go, no, got to throw him something off speed. And the other, no, 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 fastball up, fastball up. Like, stuff like that. Like, I, like, that's what I miss about the DH. Uh, that's what I miss about the, the, D, the National League not having the DH is like those moments, like, you got to hit for the guy here. You got to hit right here for him. And of course, that, that spot never comes up anymore. Those but, type of things.
3: But that's not a regular alternate cast because that's more of like a, Like, for the college football
2: championship, they have, like, the coaches. Why wouldn't that be an alternate kid? You could have two guys sitting in a room watching the game. uh, Just, you know, hey, I throw a change-up right here. No, I go fastball up.
3: Most of the alternate kids are usually more entertainment-based. Like, you know, more, like, fun and laid-back and less.
2: Well, I mean, that's part of it, though, is the two guys kind of going back and forth on what they would do. I mean, you're throwing other quips and and humor in there. I'm just Mm -hmm. talking about, like, for what sport... That would be the most enticing for me if I'm just watching.
3: The so baseball would be the thing. sport if you had two guys doing that style. That would be the that would be the one that would entice you. There wouldn't be maybe some other sport that you don't. Yeah, I don't like watch. the
2: way that A. Rod and, and Michael K. have done it.
3: I tried to watch it once and I couldn't watch it ever again. Yeah, I thought not, it was horrible.
2: Not all that appealing to me, but that would be the style of you know, two, you know, two or three people kind of just sitting there watching it and, and then trying to decipher strategy. I mean. The problem is with the DH in the game now, the strategy has been diminished.
4: Yeah.
3: For me, I do think that there are two sports I would like to see alternate casts with. One is MMA. I think that if you had a more.
2: I feel like the broadcasts of MMAs are generally like alternate casts. I mean, a lot of time it's just, you know, um, especially you, you, you got the, when they have like th- a three person booth with, right. uh, being sometimes with, uh. Cormier. Uh, Rogan, Cormier, they're just basically, like, shooting it, shooting the breeze. They
3: are a little bit. I I think that maybe they could be even more informal with it. Like, you know, I, I think that Anik is so such a hyper-professional. Well,
2: my you know? favorite moments is when I did the play-by-play, and we had – it was me, CM Punk, and then Jessica Penne would be the third. Mm-hmm. Because those two – would almost do what I'm talking about. Those two were really just kind of shooting back and forth of what they think should be going on and what they're setting up. And I was just kind of like listening to them kind of go back and forth and, you know, waiting for my, for my spots there. So I liked doing the three person. And of course, Jessica, she fought Uh punk, very well versed in the sport. He fought a couple times, not very well, but that being said, he knows the sport inside and out. He's very well versed. So, I like listening to when not that I'm suggesting that I was excellent at what I did but just kind of sat there and let those two observe what was going on and then I just kind of picked my spots for the action.
3: The other sport I think would be interesting would be hockey. I, I think that you know they kind of tried to do a version of it with ESPN where it's like you know, McDonough, some of those games he's the only guy in the booth. And you have Ray Ferraro and somebody else ice side, you know, in between the glass. So I would like to maybe see a version of that in hockey where it's like, you know, you have a couple of players kind of just sitting around talking about what's going on on the ice, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, hockey is another game where there's like a lot of action, but not a lot of scoring. And, you know, it's kind of like built for conversation, I guess. If
3: you yeah, will. I think it would be informational. because I think that there's not a lot of people who are like... I think there are more non-diehard hockey fans than there are diehard fans who would like to know what the heck is going on sometimes.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised that more networks have not tried. I, I contend though, this is what if I was a sports executive or a sports league right now, what I would do. Okay, if i really these two leagues, the NBA or the NHL, if I'm the NBA or the NHL, I am going to a network to create a window. For the afternoon game of the week. Like, pick a day, the Wednesday afternoon NBA game of the week, where every like Wednesday afternoon, maybe like a two o'clock and a five o'clock doubleheader in the middle of the day. There's nothing on in the afternoon anymore. When anytime there's live sports on in the afternoon, people always seem to be like, oh, that's really cool that there's a game on. Like, if you owned that window of Every Wednesday, it's the NBA Wednesday afternoon, game of the week. And you get like a whole pregame show and everything. I think you would get decent enough ratings to make it worth your while. And you could really build it. You could own an afternoon. One of these leagues, the NHL or the NBA, could own an afternoon. I think that's something that's being missed. I mean, baseball obviously does it because they have the getaway days. Right. On, like, Mondays and Thursdays, you get a lot of day games. Uh Football obviously has there, but they have these windows that they keep creating to get uh Thursday night football, Amazon. Sunday, you got, you know, your 1 o'clock, your 4 o'clock, but then the 8 o'clock game, NBC. Monday night football, ESPN. I think the NBA could say, hey, well, you know what we're going to do? Wednesday afternoons. We're going to play Wednesday afternoon doubleheaders at 2 and 5. Noon and three, something like that. And they could own that day. That would be what I think the next step for uh, sports type of uh, television should be. Interesting. That's your
3: big three for the day.
2: All right, more Sports Bash coming up. We'll wrap up the show. Coming up on the other side, as uh, Flyers play tonight, they named their 20th captain in team history. We'll tell you about it coming up next.
0: com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
1: The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app.
2: All right, get ready to get out of here tonight. Uh, By the way, uh, the Flyers and the the Leafs, you can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Kevin Durso is going to join game night tonight at 6.20 with a preview of the action and what's next for the Flyers. Uh, Four in a row, they named Sean Couturier the 20th captain in team history. So a little Flyers news to get you through the next uh couple hours here before they... Well, actually, I guess they start at 7 o'clock next hour before they go. Eddie Jackson, by the way, released by the Bears. Interesting news there. So, Eddie Jackson is a safety. He was drafted by Chicago when Vic Fangio was the coordinator for the Chicago Bears. And, you know, Eddie Jackson was a pretty darn good safety for... Um, the Bears during that time. So you would wonder if this is the kind of guy that the Eagles would kick the tires on. So let me give you a quick... uh, He's 30 years old, though. There's their number. So it would have to be kind of a team-friendly, like, one-year, prove-it type of deal. He would have to be the kind of guy that, like, they took a chance on a couple of years ago when Howie gave out all those one-year deals to a bunch of guys. That's what it would kind of feel like, right? You would... Be like, all right, you want to come play with Vic? Maybe get your value, your stock back up playing in this defense? If he's willing to do that. This is a guy who was a first-team All-Pro 2018. talk about 2018, though. (laughs) You're going all the way back to when the Eagles won a Super Bowl. So, does have some tread on the tires. Last year in Chicago, 12 games, 37 tackles, uh, broke up five passes, interception. His better days are obviously, sounds like they're behind him. But does he not have a big market because of the age? Can't find the deal that he wants? And then all of a sudden Philadelphia, similar to what they did last year with like Justin Evans and Terrell Edmonds, say, hey, listen, we'd love to have you here. You know the system. And then you can play here for a year and maybe get your value back up. But he is going to be uh, 30 years old. In, he'll be 31 in December, so he'll play the season at 30 years old. He'll be 31 years old at the end of December. So, Eddie Jackson, remember, he got drafted by the Bears. Vic Fangio was the coordinator, was an All-Pro in 2018, and a Pro Bowler in 2019. So, he does have a good connection there. My prediction would be... If he can't get a deal, the Eagles could be like, hey, one year proven type of deal. They've done a lot of deals like that before. So the offseason's starting to heat up a little bit. And, of course, we're all over it here on the Sports Bash. All right, I'm Mike Gill. That's it for me. Talk to you on a happy hour Friday tomorrow.
5: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.